if I sound like a bit of an asshole here? Vancouver? This place is crazy. I'm sorry if I sound like a bit of an asshole. This place is crazy. Give me a good one in between us. This is uh, take one. Yeah, there's not going to be a take two. Take two. All right, man. Uh, good morning, or whenever the fuck you're listening to this. Uh, this is Van Shitty. I'm here with my friend Hunter Elliott. Howdy. Howdy. And he's just come uh, right into my house. And as usual, we're just going to roll into these things. Yeah, I rode my bike. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it looked like a cool 45 minutes on Google Maps. Mm-hmm. There's some hills between Vancouver and here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, coming in hot right now. Coming, yeah. <laughs> you, it, that spot right before you hit boundary, dude. Oh my god! And you're like, you coming up these hills? Okay, this got to be the last one. And then you go down, you cruise, and you're like, nope, there's no. another one. Well, nonstop. But yeah, hey. but you can you can throw a bike on the buses, right? I was I was honestly contemplating just ripping down all of them. And uh, <laughs> this is the train back. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. I don't know. Like, um, I suggest this is going to be so like uninteresting to anybody who's listening. Uh, I suggest taking the, making a right, like if you're facing out that way, because the suburbs hill, it kind of like is a little less steep than the one right in front of my house. Right. So go back up towards Hastings. No, not not back up towards Hastings. Just when you leave my house, when you're like go, exiting the front door. Yeah. Make a left instead of a right. Oh, yeah. Counter, counterintuitive. Yeah, because that's the that's the quicker one, but it's also a hill that will kill you if you go down it <laughs> on your bike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, gotta, I really gotta trust my bike, trust my brakes on that one. If I. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. this the one. It, um, it actually is a little less steep to the left, so you'll get a lovely ride out of it if you end up going down to hold them. This is all stuff that I'm sure people. Yeah. Are fascinated <laughs> about. <laughs> well, no, I, I the way that I've like. Uh, decided to do this like iteration of the podcast you're gonna be episode four season two i just released episode two season two yeah and i want it to be as casual as ever yeah but uh yeah so well, we got you know we got we got robert battens in here chilling with us oh yeah so yeah. i feel pretty chill i'm pre- yeah i'm pretty chill too um he he was a gift from my friend cass uh who's a stripper uh <laughs> she said that like the that she got him on an impulse but ultimately didn't fit with the decor uh of her room right but it fits in perfectly here well i just think like (laughs) it's important when you bring anybody back to your living space that they know exactly the red flags immediately sure you want them to know that your favorite movie is last jedi and that you also are vengeance yeah exactly yeah yeah Yeah. any questions i am vengeance and and that i'm a bernie bro and that (laughs) right and that I'm proud of the awards that I got uh, from the competition my roommate runs. Yeah, right. <laughs> it feels weird, like, whenever you're succeeding at Run and Gun, um, which we'll talk about, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm a pretty big uh, wheel over at the competition. The guy who lives below me runs. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, that's a pretty low bar. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, my, my roommate, uh, he runs a competition and... Uh, I made finals, so no big deal. Basically, like the Trump family getting like yeah. positions just because their proximity to Trump. <laughs> but then I make that joke, and then I have to go like, no, no, he actually picks pre-screeners, and he doesn't give me any special time. Ten- <laughs> he really doesn't, but it, uh, it's uh, it's so wild. I no, love. But it. I think I will say, like, he may not give you special treatment, but you do have a leg up because 
you know him so well. I guess he I mean he has no control of what gets in, but still you have a you have a bit of like a uh I don't want to say advantage, but you you're more well versed in like the vocabulary of what the competition is about and the sphere of yeah. the competition. And like, you know, I do feel that you're at in a good spot because it's like you kind of get quote unquote you get it yeah yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. i mean but you do too because you were you're like the og champion of running gun yes yes uh season one or whatever that, that was like that first year i didn't even make a film like, right. i think it was 18 teams he said 16 yeah 16? i asked him yeah that's such hilarious competition to be <laughs> no that was like when they really could like screen every movie like yeah. in the same screening yeah yeah everyone was in the rio and like that's where like uh okay do you ever watch um have you ever seen studio 60 on the sunset strip yeah the sorkin thing that he did uh after west wing that yeah. only had one season yes yeah. So there's a part in there where they have these new sketch writers coming in and um, they're kind of failing at trying to get the idea of how a sketch is supposed to be written. And as like kind of a, like a learning moment, the head writer's like, let's just put it on air. Yeah. And I'm like, this, no, this sketch doesn't work. Like, why should we put it on air? And he's like, they need to hear what a studio full of people not laughing feels like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and boy, howdy, was that, season where uh, the very first run and gun for some yeah. films was just like crickets in a theater is like that's the best way to learn agreed how to <laughs> how to cater to a to a room full of people i think that's why i feel like stand-up comedy especially at the open mic level is such a pure art form right because it's just you and a mic and a room full of people telling you whether they like you or not. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, you can't really even judge by some what somebody looks like, whether or not they're going to be funny. Like, I mean, some people do just kind of radiate funny energy. Yeah, know, yeah. There's kind of, But it's kind of like that Susan Boyle thing where, you know, somebody that you expect to totally bomb will come up and, like, own the night. Yeah. Or somebody that seems like, like you may have even had a drink with them before they go up may seem hilarious to you, but as soon as they get on stage, it all goes away. Yeah. It's the subverting of expectations for the good and the bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I was like, well, what's this person going to be all about? And yeah. then, yeah, Susan Boyle, they whip out Ave Maria or something. You're like, I want to cry because my expectations are so low. Yeah. And they've been totally blown away. Yeah. And that's why I kind of like that going into any movie. I try so hard to not watch any trailers because it's like, there's such a manipulation of mind that happens with trailers and reviews. And yeah. Like, and like, and no offense, even like, post people like you having opinions yeah it's, it's, it's not posters yeah, yeah it's not that like i think that those people shouldn't do that because obviously there's a place for for that but it's like i do not like to be swayed or motivated at all like i went yeah. to see the movie men in theaters right I, I had no idea. I didn't even know it was an Alex Garland movie until, until the credits at the end. So yeah. That was... <laughs> well, the trailers made it, like, very opaque. Like, I read as much as you could read about it, and I'm still... I didn't read the plot summary. I read everything else, though, and I still don't know what it's about. Oh, oh right. You haven't seen it? I haven't seen it, no. Yeah, I would say um, see it, but, like, also same with the subverting expectations. Like, really, I'm glad I didn't have any expectations in it, because if I knew it was Alex Garland and if I knew it was like, I don't know, I think I would have been expecting it to be something that it wasn't meant to be. It was way more like a Cronenberg movie than an Alex Garland movie, I'd say. Weird. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. But no, just to go like what you're saying about, I guess, 
running, bring it all back to run and gun. Like, run and but gun year one. Yeah, it's like it's so funny to. It's like the, it's like your what's it called, the crucible or the tempest or whatever the term is. It's like I get those plays like that, but it's like you just you get thrown to the fire and you have no choice but to either sink or swim. And I think like the cutoff in the later the later years of run and gun where the finals get into the final screening it is fun it is nice but there is like a i yeah. want to see the worst thing ever oh, <laughs> in yeah. front of all like, like a thousand people you know there's this one movie from last year um that like i won't name the creators or whatever even though like it's perversely a compliment i'm about to give but it, there it was like in, in in the screening that wasn't even like the after dark one for the other screenings and it it, it, it like played like a Hallmark movie and it was made by a bunch of older actors or whatever. Oh, I, I remember this one. Yeah, and it had yeah. a weird uh, like incest twist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was hard to tell if it was genuine yeah. or in- like or uninten- like unintentional or intentionally campy and yeah. fucked up. <laughs> but, but it had that weird like Lynchian, like Uncanny Valley thing going for yeah. it. Like that, like to- tonal uncanny valley, not like, you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. You're like, what is this? What's this tone? What's this dial? Yeah, yeah. What yeah. are we going for here, guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're, it's just so confusing, but it's not like anything you've seen. It's like a unique piece. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many Ryan Gun films every year that just are completely inscrutable. <laughs> yeah. And, but they, you don't get to see them in the big screening. Well, that's why I'm together. really tempted to. That's why I do like this year. Joel is attempted to like have a screening for all the films. Yeah, and going so it's a bit of a masochist in me. I want to go to the Rio and like. I mean, look, not to. I should. I should preface this. This is a bit um. Privilegedly, just whatever he's saying, because I'm sitting here having been <laughs> made it to the finals and saying like, haha, I'm gonna go check out the. the but, like, yeah, I know it's both the, of us are kind of in that. Yeah, that's not what I mean. It's it's more just like there's something so much more raw about about going to a screening where it's so high stakes. You know, yeah, you like you see the first credits or the first shot, and you're like, okay, this could be really really nice and really good, or I'm about to like want to crawl out of my skin. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the after dark screenings this year are, are going to be just like genuinely like. I mean, if you get drunk and watch them, like a right. lot of those movies are good, you know, according to Joel, because of how. I mean, they didn't make it to finals because of how far they go. Okay. Like. Right. Me like and alienated did, some judges. Yeah, we won't talk about our the content of our films, but me and Hunter did a link for link after the competition, so like. I just want you to know that my movie is not even close to the most fucked up one oh, from what I've heard. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Some people really uh, go hard in the paint, as they say. Yeah, mine might be the most fucked up one in the finals, but it's not the most fucked up one in the competition. I would say yours is like fucked up in the way that like some moments in like Always Sunny is fucked up. Where it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. They, did they do that? Whoa. Yeah. But it's not like we're not, you're not showing like yeah. penetration or no. like. There's no nudity or explicit nudity. No, no, no. Just implied. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, I think I'm excited for this year. And like, uh, just what you were saying, how like you called me an OG Ryan Gunner. I took five years off. I was in the first and second one, 2015, 2016. And then I didn't come back till 2020. Till last year. Till last year. Yeah. Or was it last year? Did we take a break? Yeah, it was last year. That last was like year the, was the first one. But yeah, yeah. Well, no, 2021. 
2021. That was a killer track. And what did you do last year? I did Stobbs, uh, yes. Extraordinary Playlist. Right, with, with Charlie. Yeah, with Charlie. Right. Yeah, and I did, I've never done any of the Blood and Guts. I didn't do the Quarantine Project. I, there was like a big gap. I was, I was living in Montreal. I was out of the mindset of filmmaking entirely. I was mm-hmm. like working a lot, playing music. I was in, you know, just a totally different headspace, different mind mindset. Mm-hmm. I don't think I edited a single frame of footage for probably four years while I was over there. Like, Shit. totally different mindset. And then coming back, I went through a lot in the year that I, between the um, yeah, yeah. You came back like a like you came back from war like, <laughs> yeah, last little, year. Yeah, I think you and I kind of had a bit of a similar experience in some ways and so we kind of connected yeah. a little bit a little bit That's, and yeah i don't think i even really knew you that well before coming back no like we'd seen each other through like shoots randomly. shoots and then van chan and you were in the van chan music video that that cole and i made yeah with the uh with you and bowie and um and, and joel. joel yeah the Starboy thing that was fun that was such a, such a great intro video man <laughs> yeah i had a lot of fun doing that one yeah but yeah and like and so coming back and and especially with cole so like cole howard and i we've done butt floss for we did that for about three years before i went to montreal so. yes since the first running gun yeah since first running gun that was how we met uh we only met like maybe a month before that like, right right you he, he would frequented the cafe you would go to yeah exactly yeah and i was like you're funny we should do a thing together do you want to do this uh 48 hour film fest and then yeah. that was how butt floss started mm-hmm. and right away we're like oh my god we connect we really work well together so we started just churning out sketch comedy and like yeah. you know music and all this stuff then like something happened like i don't know mid 27 we did it for about two years and then I mean, I just sort of like stopped creating and I focused on my job. I went to Montreal. And so well, he got hard into the theater scene as well. Like he started he, doing a lot of plays. Started doing a lot of plays. Um, he also our mutual friend, Jack, uh, Jack Cox, who I work with a lot now. Um, Cole and Jack started like uh, they were like developing like an animated pi- yeah. pilot for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I was just drifting away from that scene. I was like, you know what? I'm. I had a job, and I was like, I just kind of wanted to do something different and make some more music. And right. So, uh, but then, like coming back after living in Montreal, I was like, all right, Run and Gun 2021. The only person I know how to like write with is is Cole. Yeah. So Cole and Jack and I were like, let's do a team together, and I was like terrified. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I haven't acted in five years. I haven't written anything. I don't I haven't edited anything. Life goes by so fast, man. It's crazy. Like it's crazy. And like and now I'm back into it. I feel like there was never that, yeah. that gap. No, it, to me from from an outside perspective, it I assume there was continuity, even though I was aware of the discontinuity. <laughs> right. Yeah. But because also yeah. the last five years have been so weird. Well, yeah. I mean, what is time? Yeah, what like, is, yeah. <laughs> with the, like the fact that it's been and I don't want to be, I don't want to talk too much about this because everyone fucking talks about it. But the fact that it's been two, almost two and a half years since COVID started, it's like, just time is just folding in on itself. And like, I think of the person that I was February, 2020 and the person I am now, like literally every aspect of my life is yeah. fundamentally different. <laughs> like what, yeah. what has happened? 
I really do feel there are certain ways that I feel like I'm waking up from a dream. Right. Like, because there is a period between, um, I don't know, let's say 2017 and now that feels so alien to the, the kind of continuity of what I was doing in my career and everything. Um, it feels like just a lot of things, everything happened and nothing happened, you know, because I'm kind of back in the, I'm kind of back in living with my boys in this yeah. room, you know, like crack jack days, crack. Yeah. Still doing the crack check thing. Like things are different, but they're the same. Have you ever taken like acid before? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that feeling when you're like, has it been 15 minutes or five hours? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot tell. There's times when you feel like time has stopped entirely and you're never going to leave the space and times when three hours go by in five seconds. Yeah. How long have I been like, like I remember watching a movie, the movie's over already. I'm like, how did that whole movie go by? Yeah. So why are you watching a movie on psychedelics? It's never really a great idea, but yeah. Well, you know, yeah, yeah no, it's not. It's like the mirror. Yeah. No, you don't want to close your eyes too long. You don't want to look at a mirror and you shouldn't watch Liar Liar on acid. <laughs> <laughs> liar Liar, man. Yeah, yeah. The, um, Jim Carrey's like histrionics, like they can be like a lot, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this person is not human. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for real. He, he's like a yeah. Cronenberg creature, like, of a, like totally. especially in his early career, the way he contorts his face and his body and everything. Oh my God. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, run again. I mean, I'm stoked on that. I'm I'm happy to be making stuff again. Yeah. And like, I I think that I'm consistently edging towards some sort of uh, final form. I feel like as long as you're pushing towards that I, final form, you know. Yeah, I feel like yeah, Frieza's is uh, final. Like that. What gender is Frieza? I don't know what. I don't think I've never Frieza... heard Frieza in my life. I don't know what you're yeah, talking. Oh, from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> You didn't know that's oh, not part oh, of your upbringing? No. Because no, that's no. like, this isn't even my final form. It's oh, like this, this villain that goes through like five different, completely different, differently drawn forms. So hold on. Were you worried about, about misgendering a, a assumingly alien cartoon character from an anime? Yeah. Okay, great. I wasn't worried about misgendering. You're, I just was just genuinely curious, curious okay. with the, what the gender of Frieza is. Sure. I'm sure somebody will know. Is this the green one? No, purple. Okay. Purple and white. Okay. I've the seen the that. short purple and white yes, one. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one that Goku he has to turn Super Saiyan for the first time in order to fight. Of course, I gotta catch up on Dragon Ball. Yeah, clearly. Well, yeah, that, I think that was released in the '80s and then repackaged for Canadian TV in the '90s. So. Well, I'm in season one of Sopranos, so once that's done, I'll plow yeah. through. Uh... <laughs> man, Sopranos, man. Yeah. What a show. What a show. But no, I think I think the pursuit of the final form is something that I'm always trying to think of. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're never going to be that final form. You're never yeah. going to get there. I'm never going to be my hero. <laughs> but you got to work yeah. towards it. You got to be like yeah, pushing towards. I mean, you know, it's not about like that. The grind set or whatever that fucking like, like Sigma male bullshit. It's not no, what I'm no, 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 no. But it's like, you, I don't know. There's a pursuit of like, of just bettering and. Even the, the there's, there's dude, I, I really hate how the internet has like commodified things like like the one percent better is like now a whole alpha thing. No, I know I get those videos recommended to me all oh, the time. I, so it's, that's what sucks is it's like I kind of I get that and I I like that idea of just like doing things to like make yourself better. But now it's like 
it's become this memeified thing where it's like if I say that now I'm a fucking like alpha male bro. It's like goddamn it. Well, no, like so I saw this meme literally yesterday that this like person posted on my Instagram and it just said like in the worst font possible and kerning like I, I I feel like I've been able to like curate my Instagram to the point where I don't see these anymore. Right. But it was like if you're not working on it on evenings and weekends and staying up late. It just means you don't want it bad enough. Oh, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah, and I just, like, wanted to punch a hole through my iMac. I was, like, on the desktop version of Instagram, and I was like, fuck you. I was like, I just can't, like, it's... It, it's so toxic, it, man. It's so telling, too, when the meme is poorly made. Right, and it's, like, Conor McGregor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably, like, a picture of, like... But what I mean is, like, if, you, if you're talking about excellence and pushing yourself to the limit, then, like... Why can't you make this meme the best version of itself? Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, like, you couldn't work on the weekends and evenings to make this a little bit better. Like, there's just so much self-evident hypocrisy in the fact that the presentation of that entire movement is so cringe and poorly thought out. Yes, that's such a hilarious point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you just figure, like, it would be well-designed, you know, have, like, a square space type aesthetic. Yeah, like infographic you know. kind of Yeah, thing. like, this is the most beautiful... Like, I, I lost sleep for weeks trying right. to present my case for why you should lose sleep for weeks. But it's just impact font on a boxer. And it's, yeah. like, deep-fried. It's been, like, saved and screen-grabbed and reposted, like, a thousand times. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't have time to work on my memes because I'm too busy grinding. It's like that... <laughs> Well, you have time to talk down to people about their work ethic at all. Just focus on yourself, bro. That's so funny. But, dude, people, I've, like, I've gone to, like, Reddit wormholes of, like, people who have defected from that mindset. And it's so sad. The people that are, like, man, I was so wrong about women my whole life. Like, I lived till I was 25 thinking that, that women were just trying to, like, find the top man. Like, the whole Chad and Stacey shit or whatever. And it's, like hearing people that have defected from that mindset and like come around to it it's like these people there are people out there that just have the worst thoughts and yeah. it's these echo chambers of these toxic guys and like i don't know i don't want to say incel because like that has such a connotation to it but it's like just these people yeah. that, that feel like they've been I don't, I don't, I don't really know enough to talk about the subject actually, but I know some a bit because, um, man, I mean, lots of discussions are happening now around like neurodivergence and stuff like, and I don't fucking like, I don't like psychology buzzwords. I think that therapy or like the word therapy quotations is now taking the place of like new ageism and like, we want men who go to therapy, you know, like stuff like, like. My therapist said is becoming the new like <laughs> astrology. Yeah, like Confucius. Or yeah, like, or whatever the fuck yeah, you know. Like, totally. uh, but yeah, like, and and I do think like it's ignoring the fact that there's for for the kind of talk therapy they're talking about, there's a huge financial barrier still, even in Canada. One hundred percent, man. It's infuriating, actually. Like, yeah. So like a lot of like rich white people say just go to therapy. Yeah. And it's just like, look, like I'm, I'm in a pretty, pretty privileged bracket, but like, if I wanted to go to like consistent therapy every week, I'd have to ask my parents for help. hundred percent. It's like a hundred bucks a session, talking yeah. 400, five, 600 bucks a month, depending on who yeah. you go to. That's, that's like half of your rent, you know, it's like, 
it's a huge financial uh, suck, especially like you're saying the social pressures around it. Like to say you don't go to therapy, it's like it implies that you don't care about your mental health. It's like no, it's like there's so many reasons why it yeah. is difficult for someone to not go or to go or to not go. And truthfully, like long term talk therapy is essentially a pseudoscience still. Like we haven't seen the long term effects of it. No, 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 no. Like cognitive behavioral therapy, short term yeah. therapy yeah. Uh, that that helps you out of like it's okay sorry i spilled some tea he spilled some tea on him are you all right are you I'm good. Did it burn your balls or no 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 and there's no honey it was just yeah it's just water um no so like so like cognitive behavioral therapy dialectical behavioral therapy uh they they have like studies that back that they're just as effective as medication if not more so and yeah. that when paired with medication they're really effective cbt is what i have experienced with them it is effective. me too yeah anyway it is effective yeah so cbt but it's short term too. like the, the therapist teaches you the skills you go through a round of it you like log your behaviors and things like that and then by let's say eight weeks or however long you need you have a toolbox that you can use right, right? like which makes sense right you don't want to be paying indefinitely for this treatment dbt is also it's it's a good semi-exposure therapy for people who have like uh impulse control disorders okay. like what can i do instead of engaging in toxic behaviors you know from like snapping a rubber band to like doing high intensity interval training meditation they give you a toolbox again. sure yeah toolbox methods are like very well proven to help yeah but like the old school psychoanalysis and jungian shit where you yeah. spend 10 years of your life talking to a therapist woody allen. yeah the woody allen shit <laughs> yeah. but that's what like online people who are like go-to therapy are yeah. not talking about cbt and dbt they're talking about going and paying somebody for an indefinite amount of time to sure. listen to you talk about your feelings you know it is it is that's really interesting because like i have seen an incredible uh, positive effect in therapy in my life but i've only been actively going for about three years and even then i'll take months and months off yeah, yeah. And i'll be like oh maybe this month i need it and i'll go intense i'll go for like a, a couple months and then but you're right it is I think a lot of the effects that I saw were the short-term benefits of just understanding the toolbox of, of cognitive behavioral therapy and and also just understanding very base level things about how the human brain yeah. works. <laughs> yeah, like understanding that there are like the people who manipulate us in the media, they understand this toolbox very well. Yeah. You know, like the, the people who design social media apps and whatever, you know, oh, yeah. that they do seminars on it and they've designed their platforms for it. Very few people on the other side of it, understand the toolbox, but you know, not all therapy is the same. Yeah, of course. Not all therapists are the same. No, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and some therapists are basically just as good as any armchair, um, philosopher or whatever. Um, and or even just as good as like just having going out for beers with a buddy once a week. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, like it is hard to know like what the benefits of one over the other is it's like, does my therapist actually, help me or is it is, are they just like uh well the, the, the one thing i'll say about therapists which is like having been in a long-term relationship i i am too I, I still re-up with my therapist too so it's not like i just went for eight weeks and stopped right. like whenever i need to refresh the information i have like we're both therapy boys it's not yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i will say like the one the, the one benefit other just i, I guess in my, in my brain if i'm trying to like think of a defense for long-term and continual long-term weekly um, psychoanalysis would be to not bring that 
into your romantic relationship or yeah. relationship with your others, with your with your close family and friends. Totally. Because that can be super damaging to be like always analyzing everything that you is going on in your life with your loved ones and they're they're not there to like sort out your shit. No, yeah. And that can be that can be bad on a relationship long term. So it's you're almost treating a therapist just like a dumpster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just like here's everything that's going all the rotten thoughts that are going on in my mind, all the like yeah. the the impulse like like True. shit that I have is like I, I have no other one I don't want to talk to my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever yeah. or mom or dad about this so I'm just gonna just dump it into your brain <laughs> that's true that's very true that there is like um inevitably somebody is there doing the emotional labor yeah and if they're not that means you're holding it all in which is the the most toxic yeah for sure aspect of it right and it's so, not your friends or family's job no, to no, like not. be there to care for you. Oh yeah, you can move the whatever you need out of the way, but that Sorry. works too. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 you're right. It's not. I'm, but again, like that's catch twenty two, right? Because it's a privilege to be able to afford it. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, that's the whole other thing. And like, I mean, living in a can in Canada where they claim to have socialist mindsets in some ways, which is kind of bullshit. But like, well, yeah, like your teeth aren't part of your body, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah right it's like you think you would think that they would allow and there there are programs out there for especially through covid i know that the, the yeah. provincial government did do some mental health stuff but even then it's like it's free for for children or people with like a diagnosed whatever or like it's still kind of inaccessible in a lot of ways and it's not continuing it's like you know you get a couple sessions and it's like the equivalent of like a mental health walk-in clinic basically which is yeah. fine and it's good that they're doing that but it's not enough. It's, yeah, it's not enough. And to be honest, I'll just say, I don't feel super well versed in the topic of like therapy to know if I have much of an opinion other than just my personal lived experience. Yeah. So it's hard to talk broadly about about the uses of therapy and and. Well, I guess what you know what it was for me was that when I was looking for a new therapist or a talk therapist in that sense. I just would like you go to the, you know, the BC help thing and you go through a bunch of websites and stuff and you just see how many fucking talk therapists are like fully engaged in pseudoscience. In what way? Like, you know, like, like their other qualifications that they have. Yeah, not just their other qualifications, but just like they, they use a lot of talking points that seem to come from the wellness sphere. Right. Okay. And and the wellness sphere then dips into the alt right anti vax sphere. Okay. <laughs> like the like the what's that? What's the sound like Reiki sound therapy? Yeah, Reiki sound therapy or whatever, or yeah. just like I mean, like I love, I love your brain just going right to the alt right. But no, but that's like the path, right? Like yeah, I it's I mean I don't know. Like look, I'm not I'm certainly not a binary thinker politically anymore. Like I think that it's all a dumpster fire, sure. and I completely right. understand why people don't trust the government and i don't you know yeah um but i also just think like there's this interesting thing where the the people that you would think would be the most left-wing like the people who reject like modern society modern medicine or whatever they find a kinship with the people on the far QAnon right yeah. sphere it's... so solely because they don't trust vaccines it is very bizarre. Some of the people I've seen that I would have thought would have been ultra liberal, very like, you know, the people that are like 
generally like to do like a lot of mushrooms and like really granola yeah. salty people that like live on Salt Spring Island or whatever. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those people I went to high school with that kind of just drifted somewhere out west into a forest. It's funny. I didn't expect it, but a lot of them are very anti-vax. And it makes sense with what you're saying that it loops back around to the other side. And it's like, yeah, you know, they're, they're still probably like pro pro choice and like all this other very left-wing liberal stuff, but it is like a distrust. And I guess it's like a don't, don't fuck with my body kind of thing or like, yeah, I think it's a distrust of institutionalism and the man and whatever. But I also just think the system is, the system is so vague. I think it's like the media <laughs> so system. I don't want to talk about it too much. I, I think it's very good at creating two sides so that people fight each other rather than fighting uh, the people at the top. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yes. like they'll find a way to redirect that hatred towards like people who support establishment politicians right. and the establishment in general so that people have fights over their dinner tables rather than organizing to like change policy or to overthrow billionaires. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's a system that like, even like, right down to like fucking plastic straws and shit where like, yeah. Oh, it's not Coke's problem. It's not, it's not Pepsi's problem that there's a billion plastic bottles in the ocean. It's your fault for buying it. Yeah, exactly. And for <laughs> buying straws, you're that? killing turtles. Yeah. Meanwhile, the guy who made it possible bought a pipeline. Wait, hold on. It's a Trudeau. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, see, this is the thing. Politics. I. Yeah, fuck it. I don't know nearly enough. Like, I, I like there's certain things I get very passionate about. But in my mind, like when it comes to politics, I don't understand how you can be fully impassioned and fired up about the whole gamut. You know, it's so hard to know what is happening yeah. on all sides of it. I, I'm much more of the like, I stick to like one or two sort of political things that I keep an eye on. Yeah. And then anything beyond that, I don't really know. What are they? Safe supply is a huge one for me. Yeah. And like the just the opioid crisis in the downtown east side, the toxicity, the drug mm. toxicity in BC. I've had a couple friends, unfortunately, pass away in the last few years and yeah. kind of lit a fire under my belly. And like, it's, uh, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but it's just so supremely fucked up that there's been more people that have died from not just from overdoses from overdoses related to drug toxicity like that's where someone overdoses mm. and the and the main thing that's found in their system has been like fentanyl or a benzodiazepine right like those things people aren't seeking well some people are seeking that out but most people that are ODing on that are not they didn't seek that out in the first place so yeah. there's been more deaths from toxic drug overdoses than from covid in the last two years in bc i know yeah i i talk about that a lot uh with people i think that we kind of have a similar thing that we're passionate about there or deaths of despair whether they be from suicide or from toxic drug overdose and like you're saying there's there's more nuance to that based on what they're seeking out um yeah. I just sometimes wanted to shake and scream at people who were like, we're trying to shame people for their behaviors during the pandemic because like, yeah. first of all, just shame period doesn't work. Shame as a, <laughs> no. as a, as a, as a tool for, uh, 
what's rhetoric as a rhetorical tool is it if it does anything usually it does nothing and if it does something it usually just reinforces the behavior Especially you're trying to stop when you're talking about it, like substance abuse yeah because those people are already ashamed because <laughs> society, society yeah. is structured to shame them yeah they know that it's not like yeah. they're not drinking orange juice like they know yeah. what it is that they're doing so during the whole yeah. covid thing when people were like like I'm, you know, three, I don't even, shouldn't even have to make this disclaimer, but I'm three times vaccinated and I believe in COVID and I would get another shot tomorrow if totally. I was told by the CDC that I needed one. So this is yep. coming from a person who believes in it, wants people to survive it and wants it to go away. But you can't shame people for wanting to see their friends when we're all isolated because more people are dying from that loneliness mm. than they are from the disease that you're trying to shame people into respecting. Totally. Man, I saw a couple memes early on that were like, oh, ha ha ha, check on your extrovert friends. Like, you know, <laughs> like the now, like all your introvert friends are, are doing fine, you know, check on those extroverts. And it's like framed, framed as a meme. Yeah. But it's like, I am a violent extrovert. <laughs> like I am, I yeah. need human in- interaction. And like, I was pissed off when I saw those memes. Oh yeah. It's like fucking, Yeah we're not doing great. <laughs> well, like, and I know that I'm not saying that extroverts are, are any better off or worse off uh, in that situation, but it's like, it's a yeah. joke about it. It's so, it's such a fucked up thing to, to joke about. Like, and that's not from an extrovert that would make that kind of joke. Like, I, I don't know. I, I had some dark fucking months just like everybody did. And it's like, like, I, I hate the memification of that stuff. Cause like you said, it, it leads to, it leads to really dark thoughts and dark places and and, yeah. and suicide is a is a very real thing that hap- that has happened over yeah. the last couple of years and it's like it just seems like there's a weird memification around like that type of thing that's like dude why even talk why even joke about that it's like like it's weird see so it's kind of like we've overlapped when it comes to suicidality it feels like we've overlapped the zone regarding suicidality that we should be at Right. So we went from it being taboo and nobody talking about it. Yeah. Like, don't talk about it. It's not a thing to every meme is about it. That's so true. And it never in between. Was it like this thing that we should talk openly about vulnerably about and take it seriously? Yeah. Right. I think, yeah, it kind of became, it it was right in the, in the curtails of the, like, oh, my therapist says kind of Yeah. right in that. I think like Bo Burnham's probably like a good middle ground of it. Like he kind of talks about it in a way that's like, yeah real but still humorous i don't know no i mean you look i think that even the worst things in the world can and should be joked about for the sense of breaking through that um like taboo barrier because i think taboo hurts a lot of things like the stigmatization of it yeah the most sort of like taboo thing is pedophilia i don't want to talk about it too much obviously because even in my mind it's still taboo (laughs) <laughs> but um but there's a good point to be made it like if we don't talk about it then we let the people who do it actively keep doing it totally because we're not we're not having discussions about like how to prevent it or like yep. how to see signs of it or anything because even the Dude. topic makes people want to puke if you and if you're like a young man who's like in his early 20s and you're thinking like oh i this I'm half starting to have fucked up thoughts and like yeah. it's not going to get any better and you're going to be in your 30s and 40s and it's just going to get worse and worse and then you're going to start yeah. and it's like but you can't when you're in your mid-20s and you see the signs of it are you going to be like 
oh hey therapist i think i might be a pedophile no of course not because <laughs> i think even the, even at this point therapists are obligated to like tell yeah. the authorities right so it's like i think pedophilia and murder like if if they think that somebody's in danger or even have a thought then they're obligated to break that code which is fair like if, if that's the thing like on one on one hand it's like we need to help the people that are having these thoughts before before they act on them but on the other side it's like yeah but also well, if someone's going to murder someone or like abuse a child just maybe take them out of the equation no no i know <laughs> just it's, put them away that, like that's, let's not worry about them that's the problem right it's yeah. like the real intersection there is because like you you know that the thing that like we know by now based on so many examples that the thing that makes anything happen more is making it so that you can't talk about it so that the only recourse is to act on it yeah you know like there's no other outlet for it but to uh, act once you've closed off the ability to even say it out loud so we're in a really fucked up place with a lot of topics that we consider taboo well, dude that's even where just to bring it back to the drug crisis this yeah. is, i got really fired up on instagram a few weeks ago because i was God. So the government of BC decriminalized substance one drugs or whatever. Like yeah, yeah. I, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that post from you. Yeah. yeah, and it was like the way that the fucking government framed it was: we need to destigmatize drugs, mm. and it's like that thousands of people are dying. We have no time to talk about destigmatizing this shit. Like, yeah. Like, and the only people who are stigmatized by people doing meth. Are yeah. like the people that are that have absolutely nothing to do with the downtown east side. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they live miles away. They have no, they don't know a single person who ever no. touched a fucking drug. Yeah, so it's like yeah, sure, they need to be destigmatized. Fucking like John and Carol who live in Prince George. Yeah. you know, it's like they it's, sure. Let's give them some some documentation to read on. But like, yeah. hey y'all, we all know someone who has done an opioid or has done like dirty coke or has done i am not stigmatized <laughs> like, no i get it so by you making it well by by them decriminalizing it there's so much fucked up with that but like it's it, it's the government saying like hey look at us we're making steps we're progressive we're cool we're gonna make world news as like the first western yeah. area or whatever to decriminalize all these drugs but like it's doing jack shit no one's gonna die less the numbers are going to stay the exact fucking same. Yeah. Like, I guess it's a first step, right? It's a baby step towards being able to get drugs, clean drugs into the hands of the, of the people. This is, this is the thing that infuriates me about government is no matter what the fuck is going on externally, what there is to react to, whether it be climate change or whether it be this crisis. Yeah. The government's reflexive response is always incrementalism. Mm. And it's like, yeah, yeah. no, you like the government, yeah. it's supposed to re- it's supposed to respond to crises, and it did it with COVID at least. Sure, right. To the degree that the crisis is happening, right? Yes. So if everybody's dying, you ground the planes and you fucking you you shift society around. One hundred percent. So you can do what's like if fucking Ukraine needs billions of dollars or whatever. And again, this is something I'm not an expert on either. Yeah. But it, I notice that the money goes right there, yeah. right. But if if more citizens of yours are dying from this than COVID, it's like well, let's start with yeah. Let's start with destigmatization. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Let's make sure that the wasps out there are yeah. okay with the, us legalizing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, part of it is the is the part the political party that that decriminalized it. They want to make sure that they're going to get voted back, so they have this campaign to make sure that the people who are voting 
understand why that they because they don't want to be like oh my god i can't believe that bonnie henry decriminalizes i'm never gonna fucking vote for ndp or whatever the hell it is like i'm never like yeah and then like, let's keep not get it to us even the ndp's fucking <laughs> yeah exactly but like yeah. they're trying to just steer their own ship and it's like it has nothing to do with they don't care about people dying and like oh god I, I i don't know i don't want to ramble on too much no about no this. but uh, i have a friend who asked me and this is related kind of like I, a right-wing friend who we agree because we both don't trust the government for the reason me and you just talked about but yeah. Um, he, he asked me, he's like, why do you believe in COVID then? You know, like explain to me why you believe in COVID. And I was like, well, because, um, the people who are most in danger of getting it also happen to be the people who were in government and billionaires. So it makes complete sense why they they're threatened that, that seriously. Right. Yeah. They don't give a shit about problems that don't affect them. Yeah. You know, like, and the thing with COVID is it was a rapidly spreading infectious disease. So there's almost no way to protect those groups totally. from that problem the way there are with other things. Well, that is why my theory as to why they're starting to care about the drug toxicity crisis is because now the children of these politicians yeah, are exactly. overdosing on fentanyl. Exactly. And that, that's what I think too. Yeah. Is that as soon as it comes, if it is man there's so many places to go with it but if it's yeah. happening to like marginalized indigenous people and people who are um mentally ill and have been abandoned by society like literally taken from riverview when it closed and just dumped on the downtown east side yeah if it's happening to them they don't care but as soon as you know like you know Sal sally goes to a party uh you know at ubc yeah does a little bump of coke and, and then yeah and that's happening more now yeah it is totally happening more and that's i mean to be like totally selfish that's the reason I care is two friends of mine are no longer with us because of fentanyl. And it's like, yeah. that's the reason I care. So it, it, it makes sense that there's a personal Wait. connection into the crisis. And it's so, I mean, it's so shitty, but it's, I mean, I live in Chinatown, so I see it all the fucking time, but it's so easy to just not see it, not see the problem, you know? Yeah. But when, when a buddy fucking dies on a camping trip, it's like, Oh, but I can't ignore this anymore. Wait, you, you, you were on the camping trip? I was. It was I. It was a friend. They were, oh, they were so camping, and they were far away from a from a hospital. And yeah, and how terrifying is that? Mm -hmm. You bring a bit of coke, you know. It's like, my God, like, it's insane. No, yeah. I, I, I know. I mean, you know, we all go to parties where there's powders blowing yeah. freely, and I'll never touch that shit. No, yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> but I, that's not to say that people shouldn't be able to touch yeah, it yeah whatever want, right? yeah like like they should be able to yeah you know i just stick to uh fucking uh pharmaceutical adderall that i buy from my friends with adhd <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know the clean stuff the clean stuff yeah, yeah. exactly um well i think we've solved the safe uh, safe supply crisis so, well, here i actually had an idea that dovetails into another topic me and you were kind of invested in okay and, and gets us back to our respective careers sure hit me with it um which we t you just talked about how like it's since it's their kids they're paying attention and yeah. stuff and i thought about it in relation to the film industry too where me and you we both want to be left alone and make movies with our friends and make silly shit you know yeah uh we talked also about <laughs> such a weird tangent to go from this to this but we talked about how it. run and gun is getting really big yeah um and then you think about the film industry in general and how the big problem with all arts, really, like commodified arts, music, film, blah, 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 is nepotism and cronyism. Sure. People wanting to work with their friends, people wanting to work with their family members. And it's like, take away all the corruption and everything 
And it's a really human desire, yeah. I think, to want to work as much as possible with your friends on things. Yeah. And I think that the people in Hollywood, like it's not some nefarious cult or mm. they're doing the same thing we are, which is we have buddies we love that we love to make movies with. Right. And we want to spend as much time doing that as possible because it feels like the most authentic expression. So you say like morally, what is the obligation of like, you know, the new Seth Rogen movie? What's the obligation for them to cast be outside of the group that they use every single time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I also hate auditions too. Like I think it's a gross meat market and like yeah. it's not where you're going to, it's not where you're going to give your best performance ever. Never, man. I fucking despise auditions. I, I was an actor for 10 years. Yeah, like, me too. Every time. I had so much anxiety with auditions. But, and I, I, the best, like, roles I did and the most success I had was when it was, like, I had been seen on another project and I kind of yeah. went in for a quick reading and, oh, yeah, you'll be fine and bring you in. Or, like, shooting with a buddy and, like, like the, the, the running gun that we did this year. I think... I think this might be my best performance I've ever given on camera ever. Yeah, I think anybody who's seen it will agree to that. Which is hilarious because I have been acting my whole life. Me, no, me too. <laughs> but I noticed that I'm giving better performances now than I ever have. And it's because I don't care about giving good performances anymore. Your performance in your new one was incredibly restricted and subtle. Like, I in, in a good way. Like, pulled in and, like... Um, you know, refined in a way that I think a 22-year-old Mike would not have been able to do. No, yeah. Because because there's that sort of prove yourself aspect to it, you know? And it's like, I felt like your performance and yours too, like without going into what happens, there's so much truth in what you're doing. Like, it, oh yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to divorce. I think we, like, we both made films that have a high, weird concept, but are yeah. peppered with really true human moments. 100%. It's like when you're in the scenes, it feels very honest and real. But then when you take a step back, you're like, wait, what, what the, the hell is going on? Yeah, exactly. For yeah. both. For both. Totally. Yeah, but I feel like, I mean, it's hard to divorce, like, your knowledge of your friend in life yeah. from their art. And it feels like there's a lot, like, pulled from reality there for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I Like, specifically, the one, just, like, broad strokes, the one that we did is about a relationship, basically. And, like, yeah it's uh yeah i mean like i've gone through a few different things relationship wise in the last few years and like um i wouldn't say that any of it was like explicitly like oh no, this no. scene is pulling from that moment with my ex when i was doing this this and that no but it was more like you we all know those moments and those vibes where it's like you get into a certain discussion with a partner and it's like i think like i said 22 year old me would have no ability to navigate that scene because i just had no lived experience no knowledge on the you know but yeah i think there is a bit of lived experience to it as well it comes yeah. from a personal place but it's also like i think uh, like you're saying like there was so much like in the auditioning you're you're eating you're, you're, you're it's a meat market like you're 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 fighting for your for your food or whatever the hell the expression is yeah but now and it, again back to the nepotism thing it's like it's just me and a couple buddies hanging out yeah trying to find a very real moment and I have no reason not to just leave it all on screen. Like I, I yeah. just dump it all out there. There's like five of us in this room, supportive environment, supportive yeah. environment. And like, how could I not want to work with Jack and Ambry and James again, the people that yeah. are on my crew, because I do that and I get this great performance out of Ambry and I, yeah. and like, it's right back to the nepotism. It's like, well, fuck, let's just do that again. Like yeah. that felt so good. Why would I want to, 
bring in a new director and like a new uh, cast member that I've never worked with. And so I totally get it. It, it is, it is like the problem, I guess, is when it, when you're looking at like the high, the people at the top of their game, like let's just use Seth Rogen as an example. Yeah. He's kind of like the best example of like, of like a group of the, from the last like decade. Um, there is like an impenetrable boys club mindset to it. Yeah, totally. I don't even know. Like now he's, mostly producing and doing like houseplant stuff houseplant stuff <laughs> yeah yeah houseplant stuff or like uh i think he does some like charity work for dementia because his right his wife's father or mother had it or something i'm not exactly he's not as forward-facing anymore sure like i see <laughs> i i guess maybe what was the last thing the he pam was? and tommy thing he was in the pam and yeah. but again he's like supporting somebody else's story yeah know? yeah um but he's yeah he's not yeah but there was a period there where i was just tired of the same group yeah, of guys like totally. it felt tapped out but there was even like i didn't realize this there was um i can't remember her name she was in disaster artist and she was she played martin Starr's girlfriend in uh, charlene Yee. yes so she lobbed some huge allegations at, at james franco james franco yeah and you know this is the like boys club thing that is kind of shitty like it's like seth rogan is a vancouver guy he's like a warm personality it's hard to not like the guy yeah but, you know, what is his obligation there to defend this group of people that he's been working with forever? Yeah. And this person comes in with these very real allegations and these very, and a person that he's been working with too. And like, and he just, from what I know, stood by and kind of did nothing. And kind of did not. Yeah. Yeah. But still defended his buddy. It's like. It's a weird, it's like, it's, it's the branches. It's the branches too. Like that Martin Starr from everything that I've gathered is a wonderful guy. Right. But he was also on Silicon Valley where one of the actresses alleged that there was a totally toxic work environment. Right. And, and the Tom, Thomas Middleditch who homeboy, I mean, home, hometown boy. Is he from Vancouver? He's from, he's from uh, Nelson and then went to UVic and spent time in Vancouver. No way. Doing comedy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Thomas Middleditch also like, turns out to be a total creep and in the weirdest way just would go to a goth club in LA all the time and touch women inappropriately (laughs) what yeah (laughs) and then I mean why does it feel so on brand for him though it's so weird like just uh, and then yeah and he got banned from the club and like basically like you know he's essentially committing assault and then going like Uh, I'm I'm famous what do you want what are you gonna do well I think so like the the way that I'm not just a burst into a tangent about abuse here but it's like i the way that i think it connects back to nepotism is like i think where nepotism and cronyism yeah is becomes an issue is like you you gotta like it might be really problematic for you to try to be a part of our group and if you join in and you fuck with one of us then we're gonna like bury you you know and then it becomes like a bit of a mob and then it's like you're you're not working with your friends for the sake of the art now you're like defending each other and now you're in like a weird uh like tontine or whatever when you just wait for everyone to die for all the secrets to yeah. disappear. <laughs> well it's a weird thing too when the press asks you to go on record about your friend before you even had the opportunity to talk to them about it well yeah like, yeah i mean I, yeah i don't know the mechanics of how that unfolded is that what happened he, no i i don't know i'm just saying it probably has happened to somebody before yeah. you know like it's, it is weird like you want to have that conversation, but then 
when you say that you don't want to go on record or whatever, then you're cagey and it seems like you're being complicit. And it's like, like if you, let's say for you right now, you would have told me like, oh, did you hear that? Uh, Cole Howard has all these allegations against yeah. him. And I'm like, well, Cole, Cole's one of my best friends. Yeah, yeah, uh, on the podcast. Yeah, on no, the no, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, like, I heard nothing about that, so. Yeah, I'm, I got no comment. Then all of a sudden, I look like a, like an asshole, I guess. But Yeah, for the record, he doesn't. <laughs> no, yeah, he's a great guy. He's very well-loved, feminist, yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. community. Uh, but yeah, no, exactly. Uh, it's weird. It's, it's weird. But, I mean, that's the thing, too, where it's like you get this group of people you like to work or uh, TJ fucking Miller. Total oh, yeah. monster too. You know, it's totally. all these people. You get this group of people you like to work with that you jive with, and and the and the bubble extends so far organically over the years that there's going to be, you know, hundred hundred people in a room. Two of them are going to be psychopaths, <laughs> right? That's just statistics. Yeah, and maybe two people in this room. Maybe two. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. When one of them is Robert Pattinson in the corner, right there. <laughs> And he's, I don't think, he, I think he's just a fucking weirdo. Yeah. You said a thing about introversion and extroversion that I thought was interesting and ties back to this too. Um, I think people get those two wrong. Yes. Right. I right. think that people see maybe like the difference between an extrovert and an introvert, like the difference between, let's say, Jesse Eisenberg type who speaks very quietly and yeah. doesn't seem to like to be around people and then like a Brad Pitt on the other end sure. of the spectrum who seems to be comfortable in any situation and whatever yeah but it's like you know at a party I would think that you and I would behave similarly to one another yeah. like we, we like to be at the center of the party whatever but I I am you said you're like a a classic extrovert and I actually am a classic introvert in a lot of the ways. Interesting. Yeah. Um, There's a couple telltale signs of it. Yeah. I I think what what is kind of in vogue these days, sorry if you're to, no, 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 please, please. What's kind of in vogue is like for the quintessential extrovert, the person that everyone would think would be an extrovert, like, you know, to be like, I'm actually quite an introvert. Yeah. (laughs) That's such a thing that like, whenever I see someone that's like, who I would think is probably actually whenever I see them say that, I'm always like, man, that might be true, but also like kind of shut the fuck up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I get kind of annoyed by that. It's like, um, I'm actually like quite an introvert. Yeah. I hate that. I love, by the way, that I don't know that you just delivered. It's like my favorite line delivery from your movie too. <laughs> People know what they're talking oh, about. Oh, with, yeah, with yeah, on the that. couch? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but no, uh, Joel, Joel is, uh, he's definitely a classic extrovert. And what the difference is, is just where you derive your energy yeah. from. Yeah, right? I'm in charge. But see, people have this stereotype that if you're an introvert, you're happiest when you're not around people. That's not true. Yeah. We are a social creature. We all need connection. We all need to be around people that meme that you were talking about earlier, I don't know, it just came back into my mind for some reason. It should have pissed off introverts too because we need people. Sure, right. Everybody needs people. Yeah, right? why, why are we checking on our introvert friends too? Yeah, like Jesus <laughs> yeah. fucking Christ. Everybody needs people. Like we're a social animal. We need connections in order to survive. And I think it's very hurtful to assume that there's this subgroup of people, like half of all people that don't need connection. Yeah. Be- or are better off without it. Yeah. Like the only difference between an extrovert and an introvert is that an extrovert will feel very low if they have to spend a lot of time indoors typically and will get to recharge by going to a party or playing board games or yeah. going to a concert. Whereas an introvert will 
get really overwhelmed by interacting with people for too long, like let's say going to work even, even just a lot of small interactions. And then they'll need to spend like an entire Saturday in bed in order to recharge so that they can be good for the next social interaction. 100%. That's, I think that's a great way of saying it. Because like, like as an extrovert, there's days I want to be completely alone. Yeah. And I think that that's, where, that's what annoys me. People say, I'm actually quite a bit of an introvert. Like, I think you're just tired. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you can be tired. You just have a long day. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You just want to watch a show. Like, that's fine. And it's on a spectrum. <laughs> and like, it's just, some people are more one than the other, right? It's, there's, there's also a bit of like, uh, horoscope yeah oh, like, like oh well that's just me that's just because i'm an extrovert but i'm like or like you wouldn't get it because you're not a, a fucking scorpio <laughs> what are you talking about like yeah it doesn't define every corner of your life it just means like when you're when you get off work how do you want to unwind or whatever like this the, i call like the myers-briggs yeah. essentially horoscopes for therapy heads right dude i took something at work called insights yeah which is basically the same thing yeah I, I, I don't even answer it, but it's basically like the Myers Brick, and we did with all my coworkers, and like we made a whole moment of it. Yeah, and I was like, "This is like very culty." No, it's all culty because if you look at the actual breakdowns of those things, there's like no, there's no experimental validity to it because a typology like that cannot predict somebody's future behavior. Right. So as far as oh, pers- right. so as far as personality like traits go, they're essentially useless. Like the only two experimentally valid categories are introvert and extrovert, really. Right. Like they're the only ones that that are like predict again and again the way somebody's going to behave. Quantifiable, predictable. Yeah, like yeah. what what somebody's going to do when they're overstimulated. Yeah. Right. Is that those are two of the only and there's different aspects to it too, right? Like there's people who are autistic who get like who may be extroverts but also have a lower threshold for sensory overwhelm right yeah so they might do extremely well at a dinner party um despite the limitations of autism like in terms of conversation or whatever that particular person's quirk like uh expression of that trait is but they'll freak out and appear as an introvert at a concert or any loud venue or just sure. a venue with a lot of and it doesn't have to do with their desire for social interaction it has to do with sensory over does myers-briggs take into account any mental health stuff no of course no but it's just this totally pseudo-scientific thing because like like jungian archetypes which which myers-briggs is based on yeah yeah, that's more of a like a a literary like trope than it is an actual psychologically valid thing (laughs) right all that shit's so like it's like uh, yeah (laughs) business synergy like oh yeah oh well synergy is a great word yeah, that only gets used in those fucking business circles <laughs> exactly. there. Yeah. But, Proactive. But I think, like, like it's funny, just Joel and I, we've known each other for years. Well, And, but I think, I don't know if it's the extrovert in both of us, and we work kind of well together, but uh, I, would, I don't think I've ever, like, hung out with him one-on-one. I don't, and I feel like it would be really... I would be really, un- I get really uncomfortable around a lot of extroverts that have a similar energy energy to me. Well, I think that you both have this thing that I think is really interesting where you're both very charming and charismatic on a stage. Right. But one-on-one, you guys are both actually kind of shy and awkward. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, to- I-, I totally, I've been and, working and on you, that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you, when you put you two together, I'm sure it's like two like positively charged magnets. Right? Yeah. It's like licking a battery. You're yeah. Like, oh, it's like, hey, man, like... <laughs> 
I wish my stage persona and your stage persona could hang out. Yeah, yeah. Because the way that we both are on Instagram would be great friends. Yeah, no, no. I have people like that. I mean, yeah. I think like me and Joel, we we've through trial and error, fifteen years, we found out like how to interact. You know, like which is like we go we go into the pain about our mutual special interest movies or how much we hate the Vancouver film industry. Yeah, and we can get a lot of mileage out of that. I mean, we love it. We love the indie scene and we love our friends and everything, but we hate uh, the bureaucracy and the politics in the service industry. Oh, well, hey, if you got some connection with the guy, yeah. you might as well milk it, you know? No, I hate <laughs> We've been best friends since we were 15, so, you know. Dude, I rewatched um, After Film School the other day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy, howdy. Forgot that movie existed. <laughs> right? Yeah, fuck <laughs> me. That's, that's a it's a good one man i laughed so hard through it I, it's been like five years since i, I seen know it. i know yeah uh that's a great one for anyone out there who's uh wants to watch a movie about a high school shooting musical a musical <laughs> yeah. uh shooting the musical it's called yeah though it's you, actually called after film was, school on the like on the title card in the movie is called after yeah 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 he kept the old cut of it and the old title cards uh so the it's listed as shooting the musical on the this is a spoon page like in terms of on the youtube page for this is a spoon which is where you would find it yeah the listing is shooting the musical but the title card is after film school because that was the original festival title that's how it went to festivals but then it got rebranded um when it got a distributor that allowed it to like be I don't know, on iTunes or something for a little while. Right. Like, I think that deal is over and it's just... What was your involvement in that? Like, Um, were you part of any of the writing or the prep or or like... (laughs) It's just, it's the nature of literally running and filmmaking, right? Right. So, uh, me and Joel have been friends since we were kids, got better friends after we did Mushrooms together when we were 20. Right. But before that even, we did two 48-hour film festivals in high school. Um, so we, we'd done some film stuff and he's, he was out of film school. Um, and he was already on the second feature. His first feature was taking my parents to Burning Man, yeah. but his first narrative feature. So only a year out of film school, but he was like, I don't know. It's like, he felt like he was going to die or something, you know, like he needed to like create, 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 you know, yeah. like he was just going from big, huge project to huge project for literally no money made after film school on like 10 grand. So after film school was very much like an all hands on deck movie. Yeah. So I auditioned for it and I was like, literally at the very beginning of my acting career, 20 years old, you know, like it's been, was this before you went to New York? Oh, way well before I went to New York, uh, after we finished the first season of average Dicks. Oh shit. I thought you were quite, I thought that was like, no, I was like in your early twenties. No, I did like the, I was in my early 20s, but oh, I guess not 20, 20. Yeah, so it was like after film school, average six, seven. So I got cast mm-hmm. in the relatively small role of nerdy guy who has one, doesn't even have a name, <laughs> one scene, and then maybe a part in the musical montage. But I just kind of, it's a, it was an all hands on deck thing where it's non-union, doesn't matter who you are, you know, if you want to help out on set, we need you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just thought it was amazing what he was doing so i ended up being on set every single day sure yeah and then the weird opportunities to help out would come up like we it was like a certain university here in canada 
only allowed shooting rights if you were one of their students and one of our producers was, but the producer had to submit a script for a film to prove that they were shooting as part of their degree. So I had to write a fake script so that, that we could get rights to shoot. Wait, there. there was no shooting script for it? No, for shooting the musical there was, we couldn't give them that. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't give like a reputable university, like, you know, a script that said we were shooting a hallway massacre for a school shooting. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe that so, wouldn't have played out for you guys. Yeah, so I, so <laughs> yeah. the day before I wrote a fake script so that we could get that location, so I wrote that. Then I wrote in one of the musical numbers, it's like post credits with Joel, and I wrote uh, you know, I just helped out where I could, you know, and then I ended up in a couple more scenes than I thought I was going to be in. Yeah, that was my involvement. I, I'm not like a title character and everything, yeah, but yeah. I, I think the experience of being part of that team and then being able to come in the clutch with some help. Once I, um, once I moved in with Joel, having had just had that experience of shooting the musical, that was when we thought like, let's just do something for fun, just us and see what it would be like if we did something together. And that was average dicks. Yeah. Which is hilarious. And that's when I first met you, I think yeah. was, was average dicks. Yeah. Even though apparently we lived in parallel for quite a bit of time because, yeah. uh, we, you know, some people I knew from high school because you went to Charles Best and I went to Port Moody and oh, to Centennial. Oh, Centennial. Yeah. yeah. But still, wait, who do I know from, who do we know? Well, like we both know Mike Noble. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Um, and we both know like people who were in like the music scene, you know, like, I think you knew of Joel back then. You wait, did you grow up in Port Moody? Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. We must know a lot of mutual people, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that actually Joel knows my the guys from my band. Yeah. yeah before yeah. I Pigeon, even knew yeah. Joel. Pigeon Park, right? Yeah. Pigeon yeah. Park, shout out. Band broke yeah. up six years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. buy it on iTunes or anything anymore, but like, shout out. Yeah, we were just <laughs> at different schools, but we grew up in the same region and we know some of the same people. Same, yeah. like, generation, right? Like, we yeah, have you ever worked together on anything other than that Van Chan video? No, I don't think so. You know what happens? You, you just end up in your own team that's yeah. running in parallel. I don't think we have. I think it was in one episode of Inconceivable. I don't know how involved you were in that. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was co-creator. Okay. So it was I co-wrote every episode. I was standing next to Andrew Barber at the Van. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, but even then, I was playing myself. <laughs> Yeah. Inconceivable was the project on which I learned that you never want to like literally adapt reality. Mm. Like to the point where you say certain lines the same because it's never going to be it's never going to deliver the like the 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 show is amazing and I recommend anybody watch it it still holds up but yeah, totally. there's aspects of it that I know are literal lines from life that I would have been better off paraphrasing. Right. Okay. Do you know? Okay. George Orwell has yes. this book of essays, and one of the essays is him reviewing um, Salvador Dali's autobiography. Okay. Very meta situation, but it's basically it's basically George Orwell talking about about the book that that um, that Salvador Dali wrote about his life, and as he was writing this um, this review of it. Yeah, he was basically doing research on it, and he's like, "I don't think any of this shit happened." <laughs> right, right, right. And his whole thesis is—he's well, got a couple different theses, theses or theses. But a big point he makes in it is like, sometimes a fictional account of someone's life 
can paint a more accurate picture of what happened than yeah. a direct transcript of, of, of events. And like the example he gives is like in 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 Dolly's autobiography, he like pushes his sister down the stairs and his sister like breaks her arm. Mm-hmm. Like that never happened, but it shows the way that Dolly looked at his family and looked at pain and looked at masochism yeah. and all this stuff. And just by saying that he did it, that paints a way better picture of what kind of guy Dolly was, even though he never did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of like what you're saying with with like uh, with inconceivable, it's like just because it unfolded in a certain way, literally, doesn't mean that it's that's the best way to tell the story. Yeah, I think that some of the most fictionalized parts of Inconceivable are the parts that get to the feeling of what it was like being in that group of friends during that time when my closest friend and his on again, not really partner, on again, off again, fuck buddy, <laughs> hook up, yeah. hook up. For they they get thrust into being you know future parents. You know, like the parts of it that didn't happen at all in real life are the parts that I think get the feeling the best, which is interesting. Right. And I, I just wrote a, a script, not just, I wrote it at the beginning of the pandemic, then spent the whole pandemic refining it, and then just submitted it for funding. Oh, I wrote nice. a feature based on my life in my early 20s before I'd started making films. Big crux period. And it's nothing like how it actually happened. But I, it feels true to what happened. Sure. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it, there's something about reality that gets so filtered through our feelings and through our like storytelling capacities. We're unreliable narrators. We're talking about our own memories. Yeah. And literally, even if we weren't unreliable narr- narrators, every time you remember something, you edit it a little bit. Copy of a copy of a copy of yeah. a copy. Yeah, exactly. You're not remembering the core thing. You're kind of remembering the last time you remembered it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, And then that gets yeah flushed through. And so it's like feelings that... How do I evoke a feeling in the audience that is analogous to what I felt? Yeah, that's the real um, crux of it, I think. Well, because like with filmmaking, you're not you're not like like you're not just depicting a manuscript of events. You're, no, you're conveying a vibe. Yeah, you're you're like you're vibe tellers. You know. Yeah, and like I I wrote a short a short script like uh, a couple of years ago, and I was, I sent it to Jack recently, the director that I work with, and I was like, hey, what about this? And he read it. He's like, I really like it. His direct quote was, it reads more like a short story than a mm-hmm. short film. Right. And like that really fucked me up. <laughs> like, what, yeah. what the hell does that mean? <laughs> but that's what it means. Yeah. It's yeah, it's like it's like certain stories are meant to be told for through certain um certain mediums. Te- mediums, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like he's right. I don't know if that one would really work as a film. It doesn't look great. And there's no like why. It's like, it seems every when you watch an animated movie, you're like, why was this animated? This could have been yeah. just a movie. <laughs> what was the choice to make it an animated feature? I think we live in a time of, like, medium confusion right now, if we want to talk about things in general. Yeah. Uh, like, there's a lot of miniseries that should be films. Yeah, where they're just, it's going on too long. <laughs> it's just, yeah, where you have, like, six hours of story that I guess somebody nowadays thought it would be easier to greenlight as a, as a miniseries. Mm-hmm than it would have been as a, a standalone film or they wouldn't have really known where to place it. I've thought of that about Obi-Wan. The Obi-Wan's the one I most recently thought about. Yeah. I'm like, I think they did that character a big disservice by not giving him a big budget standalone film. Like, yeah. Especially for that point. And like, I'm like, I work for fucking Lucasfilm. I'm like yeah. a huge Star Wars nerd, but I think they, 
I don't know what I actually can and can't say, but I think they did it a bit of a disservice by not giving that guy a, a high budget, concise two hour movie. I think honestly, somebody probably will edit it into a two hour movie and it's going to lose nothing. Right. <laughs> in my opinion, as somebody's yeah. watched it all five episodes or whatever, yeah. there's a lot of fat in that, totally. but there's so many good bits that are essential yeah. that if you just put them closer together, yeah, you know, and then I felt that way with like the Queen's Gambit, which I otherwise love. But there's so many fucking miniseries now yeah. that should be films in their ideal version. Dope sick. Yeah, I loved that. I thought it was maybe good as a series, but it was still like about 20, 30 percent too yeah. long. And I'm watching it like, dude, this would have been good as like Dark Waters or like uh, uh it's like I don't know. Like there are movies like that though. Two hours and they're just good, you know. Yeah, no, totally. And I'm not yeah. like I know a lot of people are like ninety minute movies. Like that's there's become a resurgence for shorter movies. I think there's yeah. some films that deserve long run times, oh, yeah. like Dune. Oh yeah, uh, Dune deserves to be a two part. Like if you actually want to like do a, but it's it, again it's about the right medium for the right story. And I think because nowadays we can tell stories in any medium for any amount of length because they're just getting uploaded online nobody needs to make space for commercials or whatever that um it's starting like that i think this is where the term content comes from god such a such such a a faceless term which is such a blanket term (laughs) that we live in this like amorphous like space of content yeah it's like futurama how he eats bachelor chow it's just like human food like here's content yeah (laughs) yeah, exactly yeah like the the but it had because it's all become this amorphous thing you know like uh, i just read a book about the 90s where they talked about how back then there was movies and there was tv yeah you know and And actors rarely bled between the two bled, bled between the two and they they accomplished different functions right that if you if you're going to go to the movies, you're going to have an experience or you were going to uh, process a slow, like if it was a more of an art house film, you're going to process something slowly and completely over one evening out yeah. or in if it was a video. It, television was something you could leave on in the background, you know, and, and you would pick up with storylines or whatever, but nobody took it seriously. Yeah. And now it's just like. Now everything demands to be taken seriously. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every kind of content there is demands to be... It's so exhausting. Dude, that's why Love is Blind is the best fucking show. Oh, I fucking love Love is Blind. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, but that's the thing is I miss like... I miss not everything being an event. Totally. And even Love is Blind is a fucking it's event. It's still an event, but it's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's an event that you go and you know it's stupid. Yeah, and you could like make past and come back 20 minutes later. You're like, what's happening? Yeah, <laughs> like, and you pick it up right away. Yeah. I will say that like season one still for me better than season two, but yeah, I I, I mean it's all it's all but it's all garbage. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just yeah. I I love the villain in season two though. Shane uh, or, or or Shake Shake yeah Shake uh, yeah dude Shake fuck that guy fuck no what if should we should we start a, a Love Is Blind rewatch podcast I would love to start with <laughs> Love Is Blind Shake is like because he tries to he's so he's so cringe at trying to be the villain of the reality show yeah yeah <laughs> let's be honest you guys all just wanted to stay on the show like let's have the meta narrative here the yeah, after- I think the hottest woman here is uh, Vanessa or whatever the, the host woman it's like yeah. okay buddy yeah <laughs> yeah like honestly I'm not attracted to any of you I'm attracted to her yeah, yeah. he's a, he's a veterinarian yeah right like but you know he's the kind of guy that is a vet just just to pick up chicks just to pick up chicks and be like I'm a vet yeah 
just like it god fuck that guy but that's why i mean good you know i love shit like that yeah totally and like i don't know i think like just what you're saying about serious content it's hard as a as a content creator myself yeah as someone who like just is trying to write and produce like it's hard to walk that balance between like what is art for you what is just meant to be like taken not seriously what is like the, your your magnum opus and like i oh my god I, I like this is a big topic to get into but i spent five years writing a uh a, a musical about aliens i and, love it it's so good you guys should listen to it <laughs> thank you yeah it's called mudge it's everywhere mudge. um but and i wrote three three movies worth of like stuff content like it's a big fucking story yeah. that i've created but then it's like how do i i ended up just releasing just music about it where it kind of tells a bit of a, of a story but there's so much going on behind the scenes i struggled a lot with it. it's like is this a project that i'm releasing just because it's a piece of art that i want to put out into the world is this something that i'm releasing because it's like i think people will consume it and buy it and i'm gonna make money and then and, and will that dictate the type of music that i make or, or am I creating it to be like, uh, just, hey, don't think about it. Garbage, love is blind, throw it up. It's just like a weird, quirky kind of like thing. Yeah. And I I kind of landed somewhere in the middle of all three of those. I feel like it ended up kind of just being sort of nothing. It was just sort of like, here's a thing that I made. And like, I'm, I'm glad that I did it. But it's like, I got so lost in the mindset of how it's going to be received. Yeah. That like, I don't think I really spent the time to... To be like just to enjoy the process. It's the process of making. That's the only thing that's good, man. It's the only thing that like, and we miss it when we're doing it because we're thinking about how it's gonna come out. It's exactly. It's the thing that you never. It's it's like meditation. You never are able to enjoy your fucking art because yeah. afterwards you're like, oh man, uh, that was so fun. I can't wait for the party. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait till it. <laughs> yeah. The running guns like that too, right? It's just like okay, it's out. I made it. I'm so glad I finished the movie. I love it. Now I can relax. I oh, but is it going to make finals? Yeah. Oh, it's going to make finals. Yeah. And then, and then, oh, it's going to, if it's in finals, then, oh, uh, are people going to laugh at it? Or are people going to like, and yeah. then now because I'm the lead, are people going to like, you're never living in the moment, right? No, no. And then even while you're doing it, it's like, whether it's running gunnery of 40 hours to do it, or it's like much, or I spent five years fucking making it. It's like, yeah, you're, you're never in the moment being like, I am having a good time right now. I have, I have like two analogous projects like that too. Like I have this fucking podcast that I've been working on for, I don't know, two years now. Um, Do you ever enjoy it? Yeah, I'm enjoying it now. I enjoy okay, doing it. This is the part I enjoy. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, and then listening to it back when I'm editing it and I'm not banging my head against the wall because the synchronization's fucked. Sure. Which happens. But yeah. but like this part's the best part. Yeah. Um, and this is literally, like this is an opportunity to, to uh, generate a, a a vulnerable conversation with another person yeah. where the only thing that me and you are doing right now is having the conversation because there's actually not a lot of one-on-ones that you can sort of plan this way in life anymore. Yeah. I think the only one-on-ones that I've had with you have been like yeah. drunk at a party, us like cornered waiting for a bathroom and we're chatting for 20 minutes or something like that. Drinks are like, are like an excuse to be able to do this yeah. basically. Like right. in society, in a lot, and usually it's in a big group. It's actually hard, and it's like, what if you admire somebody 
uh, in art, but you're not that good friends with them. Yeah. Then for me, this has been the only way to like safely reach out to them, to hang out with them, especially if they're female without them thinking that I'm expecting something romantic or something. Sure. If you just admire someone yeah. and you want to have a conversation with them, you want to go get coffee. It's like, oh, this guy no, wants to hook up. It's, it's, like, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's this weird thing where it's like, why? I think we've drifted because we now, we don't make phone calls anymore and everything's ironic and everything's via text. Yeah. Like the idea that okay. you would just want to have a conversation with somebody. You know what's funny though, Take away the podcast from this and it's just you and I sitting here. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Oh, it's so no, no, it is like, like I, I'm part of the culture. Like I, it is. Yeah, I agree. It's fucking weird. But no, I'm like I just it's been, but because there's the third thing that it's a podcast that we yeah. can look at, then it's not weird. Yeah, then it's not weird. Then it's like we have another thing. And I was I was at a friend's house uh, last weekend, and we had a fire. He lives out in Maple Ridge. He's got a little fire pit. We yeah. did a fire, and we were talking like why. Why does it feel so good to sit in front of a fire? It was warm out. It wasn't yeah. like we needed it for heat. We weren't cooking hot dogs or anything. And we were speculating that it's like, if we were sitting around outside without a fire, we would not be sitting there for three hours talking about life, talking no, about, yeah. but the fire is like another thing to like keep our attention to like, it's like, it's almost like a, it's like, it's like a fake a fake distraction that you know, we're all here for the fire, but really the fire doesn't need us. It's doing its own thing. Yeah. And what it is, is it's a catalyst for us. It's an excuse or the catalyst for us to be comfortable sitting yeah. together and having deep conversations. It's something that you have to like geographically stay near in order to have the experience of it. Like I think these yeah. microphones are kind of like a fire. Exactly. It's the we, same thing. We have to be near the microphones in order it limits it limits the opportunity cost of this interaction, right? So if me and you were at a party, yeah, and we were talking to each other like this, you know, drunk, so we don't feel the social barriers and we can be vulnerable with each other, or whatever the fuck. Sure, we would still both be thinking. I kissed you on the lips at New Year's. Yeah, we uh, yeah, I kissed you on the lip. I kissed you on the lips uh, that, twice that night. Twice that night, I kissed a lot of people. They well, fake fake New Year's by the fake way. Fake New Year's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's true. No, no. So we can have that, right? But in the back of your mind is always like, what interactions am I sacrificing to keep talking to this guy? Yeah, because there's so many people in this room. Right. Okay. So you're like, like, wait. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you you ever get like people get really impressed by and i i do too somebody that when you you're at a party i, I have problems with eye contact because you know yeah it's autism. Awkward, <laughs> sure. whatever but but i really get impressed by people at a party who like really want to listen to you yeah it, it almost kind of terrifies me in a way Dude, like thomas a falter Tom, yes yes <laughs> yeah. yes that, that guy, guy, he's like the best fucking person to run into at a party. He's just like, this guy he's is genuinely interested. He's locked in. He's there. I am. What's yeah. going on in your life, man? And he knows everything. He's like, I saw you posted about this thing the other day. How's that going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh my God. Thomas Avolter is a fucking magician. I love that man. <laughs> so Everybody much. loves him. And yeah. Anybody who knows him loves him. Yeah, like, of course. I want to have him on here, man. Dude, you should. Yeah. I should. Yeah. But but yeah, Thomas, there's people like that, right? They, yeah. they, they, they just like stare a canyon into your soul. Like they <laughs> yeah. want to like... They're like, hey man, hey man, I got nothing going on except me and you right here. Yeah. I, the rest of the party melts away. It's like a rom com. Yeah. Like the volume just drops on the rest of the party. It's just you and him. And yeah, exactly. Dreamy eyes. But that's a special thing that some people have. Most people are like, yeah. What's next? What's next? What's because next? that's the way we're we're in this society. We're socialized to 
always look for the next thing. I do think um, I am worried about like post pandemic stuff like that too. Like I'm, I, I'm getting better at it now, but like the first few like big social interactions, I was just like, yeah, I don't know how the fuck to be in public. Like, what do you want from me? I think you said that out loud several times <laughs> at one of them. I'm sure, and yeah. I did too because yeah. it was weird. That party, that one, the New Year's one was like this big, yeah, like release, like ecstasy. Yeah, oh yeah, it was, it was like wildly. Like, oh my god, this feels incredible to, like, get me the fuck out of here. And then, like, two minutes will go by, like, okay, no, 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 this feels yeah, fine, yeah. this feels good. Yeah, that was weird. It was weird. Yeah. So, you, what do you got going on? Are you, are you, uh, you wrote a feature, you submitted it for... Telephone Talent to Watch. Telephone? Mm-hmm. So, what are you, are you looking for... What, yeah. what level of funding? Like, is there like a certain... micro budget, but I mean, micro budget is still like every funding amount for movies is, is a ridiculous amount for a human being to ask for. Right, you know, even the small like the, the it's, what is micro budget under a hundred thousand? No, it's like twenty five. Okay, two hundred fifty thousand. Two hundred fifty. That's or... what they're offering wow. at Telephone. That's what they're offering for last last <laughs> go around. They offered one hundred fifty thousand, and I guess they bumped it up this time because they gave. It's so funny. They gave uh, COVID top ups. I don't know how much the money was to the people who won last time. Right, and they skipped a year, so this is the year when they came back. Hmm. It was so funny applying for telephone though because like you have to get like a local like institution to back you and so i tried to go through story hub but they're like we're not doing it this year and i'm like fuck okay well i didn't go to a film school so the only people i have to ask are crazy aids and i'm like you know what i'm not gonna ask crazy aids because i've uh i've outed i've outed them for their corruption online too many times is running gun not a not, a... not yet they're not they, they're not incorporated yet mm-hmm. next year i think they're going to shoot for they have to get approved by telephone, but I think maybe next year they'll be able to do one. Anyway, I just did the direct apply thing. But the thing is, if, if you direct apply, basically the only thing you're not allowed to be is a neurotypical white male. Sure. Because they're like, hey, we have, we've dealt yeah. with enough of you guys. We're trying to find something different here. And it's just like, but I just, I hated having to tokenize myself and my team in that way. Totally. Yeah. Because I know that the government is actually kind of horrible to marginalize people unless yeah. they can use them on a spreadsheet to say this is how much money we gave to them this year. Yeah, totally. So it was like, it's like, all right. And I literally, it, it's this gross form you have to, and again, it's like, I'm shit talking the organization. I'm begging for money. It's not their fault. I get that they're between a rock and a hard place right now too, but. Plus you're not shit talking. You're yeah, expressing I'm being, your I'm being honest, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I'm not. I think that. Ultimately, it's an it's an essential institution that allows Canadian film to get made when it otherwise might not be financially viable. And there's a lot of great films and stories that come from it. But um, yeah, it's like you have to. It's like a statement of diversity almost. Like you have to list like what you are, right? Like which I mean, it's good. But it's like it's like I have to go through like is autism a disability? And like yes, it is. But it's like if it is, like, am I autistic enough to go through these things? Do you have to get, like, a certification for it? Not technically, no. Works. You just have to self-identify. And it's like, I'm, like, certified by my psychiatrist and right. my GP, but I don't have the official, like, document, like, diagnosis or whatever because it costs, like, $2,000 and there's this huge wait list and stuff. Come and on. it's just so that you can get, like, government support for it. But then I'm already 31 and, like, the time has passed. Like, I've, I've been through the system for other mental problems that were corollary to that before <laughs> I got diagnosed. And yeah, yeah. It's just, like, not worth it. So you get that. Whatever. 
and then it's like oh okay so i'm like now i'm disabled and i i, I guess i am but i you feel like you're not disabled enough or whatever you know sure. and then it's like then it's like my director uh Raylan, he's indigenous but i never wanted to traffic on his indigeneity yeah sure. i never wanted to, like we just he's my friend we work together we like to make films together i never wanted to tokenize my friend and then i'm getting him to fill it out and it feels like i'm doing that and, you know yeah i mean but i mean hey does he feel tokenized by it no of course not it's me just like yeah me but and it, it's it's like all we want to do is make the movie <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what's important i mean like i get telefilms motives there because ultimately the the goal is to like make sure that they have well represented films and crew and all that stuff but it does it does ultimately mean that people that are trying to tell certain stories are just going to get kind of slighted and like i i mean I don't know. It depends what kind of competition you're up against, too. Like, is there, like, thousands of people applying for this, or is it, like... Uh... Yeah, it's, like... So, it used to be that you had to get recommended, or you had to have gotten into a list of ten film festivals that they deemed prestigious enough, and then you get, like, fast-tracked, <laughs> oh which is... So, so gatekeepy. <laughs> so weird. But it's just, like, yeah, there's a lot of holes in their gatekeeping structure, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I was, like, well, Inconceivable got nominated for a Gotham Award, and I was in the same room as all the most famous people in Hollywood because of it, but I can't put that down because it's technically not TIFF. <laughs> oh, my God. Or, like, Automate got into Outfest, which is the number one LGBTQ festival in the world, but yeah. also not part of that list. Just, like, it's like they're trying to be so progressive with all this shit, but they're also, like, yeah, just was, these old guards. Any, yeah, anything you put down is going to leave holes, right? Uh, it's just weird. Uh, it's it's Gatekeeping is weird. Yeah. And then, and then it's also, like, local institutions have to recommend you, and it's just like, look, man. Have you seen the things they greenlight for Crazy Eights? <laughs> Dude, I've not watched a single Crazy Eights film oh, ever. God. I think my buddy Ron uh, made, I made one, one. But which one was, was it? I love you so much. It's yeah. Be, yeah. Okay, I've seen that one. Yeah, I, I guess I've seen a handful. I well, you, sometimes you don't know that they're crazy. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know that they were that, but yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. I was, I didn't go that route. Like, I didn't, I didn't really go the route of like submitting short films, filmmaking and stuff. Like right after film school, I. I was acting and I joined a band and I did a lot of drugs and I just kind of, <laughs> I just sort of like went that route and then got into sketch comedy and now I'm back around this side of it. And, and now we're at the point where Jack and Cole and I are like starting to write more. I'm like, Hey, we should get some funding for this. And now yeah. I'm like, Fuck, I went to film school. I have absolutely no idea how to apply for a grant. <laughs> like no clue. Well, let's circle back to, um, that thing that you talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Um, it's kind of like our last chapter here. Sure. That can be as long as we want it to be. But it's uh, that final form thing that you said. Okay. Because it seems like you're talking about how you took this roundabout way to sort of finding your way to, I guess, sort of the creator or the artist you're supposed to be. Yeah, or at least closer to it than I've ever been. And I feel the same way about my journey. So that, right. I think that's a good thing to talk about. Totally. Yeah. No, I think like, I, I don't know if it, I've, I've been meditating on this a bit, like, the person that I've been in the last, uh, like, definitely, like, four months, but probably more, like, year, year and a half-ish, um, is someone that, like, I always I always wanted to be. I was aspired yeah. to be. And I never thought I had it, the ability to do it. Um, and it really took, like, I had built my life up on this, this, like, house of cards of, like, 
you know, I, like I was, I quit acting. So I, I felt like I was a failed kid actor. And then I'd quit my band, which was a fairly successful band. So I felt like I was a failed musician. And, right. then, and then like, I was working as a, as a videographer and filmmaker a little bit, like music videos and stuff. I quit that. And then I got a job working for Disney, you know, and like, yeah. and like, I was in a long-term relationship, moved to, moved to Montreal. And like, I don't get me wrong. I loved that life. You know, I loved, I was working on Dune. I was with a amazing partner and like living with amazing friends in Montreal, really living like a really great, great life. I, I loved my life during that period too. I also was living with an amazing partner and had great friends and felt like I had stability. I, I my creative output was not what it, that's was on either side of it, That's but, but everything else was, yeah. Everything else was perfect. Everything else was great. I was living, yeah, like a life I could see myself settling into. Totally, but it fucking terrified me. Yeah. And like I, and then COVID hit, I started getting daily, multiple daily panic attacks. I was like, what the fuck yeah. is happening? That's the thing, and that thing in the background too. It it like made me more irritable in general, which made me like a it, it's it made me a bad uh, person in that life that right. I was comfortable with something just sort of flipped. I yeah. think that's, and that's, this is where we started talking. I think, well, no, like when I came well, we, back, so like, we were in the same spot in the same know? spot. Yeah. Yeah. And so like in the course of about three months, I, I was about six months. I quit my job, took a massive pay cut, moved in with my parents away from Montreal. Uh, I went long distance with my partner. We ended up splitting about six months after that. Yeah. And it was like, you know, again, it wasn't like there was, I mean, I don't want to air my dirty laundry. No, no, no. It wasn't like there was big, big issues with Montreal or with my partner or with like, you know, it was all just like, well, with my partner, we had a couple things going on. But, yeah, you know, but, and so did I. It's like, for sure. It's, yeah. it's complicated. But, it's, life's complicated. Yeah. yeah. But like, for the most part, it was like, it was like a metamorphosis. I needed to just like fucking throw everything away. Yeah. start again and i don't know something happened like there i was like living alone in a low paying job in a basement apartment in vancouver like back where i, I was like so fucking depressed because it was like i i'm back where i was four years ago i lost all that progress and that was when i started picking up the, i started finishing mudge i started working with cole again I started, I started getting promotions at work. I don't know what the fuck happened, but like yeah. things just sort of came together. And the the only thing I can say that I did differently was I prioritized myself. I prioritized my mental health. I prioritized my creativity. I pre I prioritized, and I'm incredibly privileged because I have. I come from a from a good family. Yeah, I have a good job. You know, there there. I'm I'm very privileged on that front, but like. Never in my life was I did I ever value my time or my creative input or my yeah. more than I more than I did in, in this last year, and like it's just that added that 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 thing that always goes through my head now is like if you bet on yourself you cannot lose. Yeah, yeah, you no, cannot you lose. can't lose. It 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 might cost you financially. You might cost you a great partner. It might cost you your living situation. But I moved back to Vancouver in the pursuit of my mental health, in the pursuit of like bettering myself. And I just something in my gut was just driving every decision that I made. Mm. And like, 
like I I feel amazing (laughs) right now I mean obviously there's still anxiety and I still have problems with panic attacks and stuff but it's like fuck man you just gotta you gotta go hard on yourself not no you don't have to be hard on yourself. You no, go. but you gotta you gotta invest in yourself and you gotta prioritize. I mean, that's the thing too is that if you're the language that we use is so fucked up, right? Because if you're operating from a place of need or a place from insecurity or whatever, because you're not prioritizing your own mental health and your own success and your own thriving, then you're naturally gonna treat the people in your life poorly. Right. Just because you're operating on a low tank of gas. Yeah, totally. Like, you can't drive, you can't carry somebody on your back if you got no gas. 100%. Right? And I think that we we can guilt ourselves into thinking that taking care of ourselves is a form of narcissism or selfishness when we conceptualize it that way. Because we selfishness and self-love, I think, are too close in it's the language. It's a boomer mentality, too. It's, and it's boomer mentality, yeah. too. And it's all shamey. But it's like, no, you... You should prioritize your flourishing. And, I, you know, everything that you're saying, it's just said resonated with me because this last year, same for me, mm-hmm. where I... That's great, man. I'm in the I'm in the van shitty era of my life, which is <laughs> sure. like... What, what that is, is that I I feel like my... I feel an ownership over the work I'm doing and, and over the life I have, where I was working a job I hated um, that I quit at the same time when my relationship ended because I was like, I can't... <laughs> I can't do that anymore if I don't have like a stable home life or whatever. Right, right. And and I moved back in here and I really thought that I'd completely fucking failed and that I had gone backwards. Like now I'm living with my buddy again, you know, like he's I feel like he's giving me like charity by letting me live here. And it's not how it was, but it's how I felt. And I am like, fuck, I'm unemployed, single and depressed. And yeah. Within the year, it's just like, you know, I have this podcast that I love. Um, that I feel no pressure about releasing episodes or like what the episodes are supposed to be. Yeah. I just like a, a way for me to connect with people in the arts. Um, I have these projects that I've gotten to be a part of that, um, that mean a lot to me. I finish like whether or not I get telephone funding, I made a film that is vulnerable and honest on the page that I'm going to make that, that, that it's I genuine. feel is a, tr- a genuine and a true expression of myself. Dude, that's and that's the fucking best, yeah. man. And and then and then we. we How does it feel? It feels amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and of then course. You, and then you take the group of people that we had uh, that made the running gun, you know, too, like, which looked amazing. By yeah, the way. that's all. Cinematography is great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, that group of people just went into the paint and and sort of gave me an exhilaration that I haven't felt since we were making Average Sticks. Oh, man. Like a true, like, <laughs> we we are doing this for no one but ourselves. And I, I forgot what it was like to, to, to create in that way. It's so, it's such a nice feeling. And, like, you know, all the stuff we're talking about, about, like, not being, like, you're, it's hard to enjoy while you're in the process of creating yeah. it. But it, there is, like, sometimes there is some moments where, like, especially in a 48 hour where you're, like, looking back and you're looking, you're, you're watching some, like, playback of a take, of a take you just made and you're, like, what the fuck are we doing here? This yes. is amazing. So many, so many of those. <laughs> yeah. You're like, look at this. This is my life. Like I'm, I'm fucking making this batshit crazy thing. It looks great. I got my friends in, in, in film school right here. You know, it's like, I'm the lead actor in this yes, thing. And it's yeah. like, 
you know and uh, yeah dude that's so great that, that you've had that that same experience at man. the same time man yeah. yeah it's lovely i feel like maybe that there is a bit of like a metamorphosis happening across the world with covid like mm-hmm. a lot of people hit this despair at the same time it's like these big parabolas of like emotions that are going on and i really hope that people out there are able to find solace and peace and love in themselves i agree because yeah. you can't clearly we can't find it in we can't we can't trust that we need to find it in big social gatherings we can't find it in political trust we can't find it in like movies being good or bad it's like that it really has to come from within yeah. i feel like this is sort of been the thesis of everything we've talked about exactly so far. that it that it has to yeah come naturally and i mean you know talk about flourishing or whatever like look at look at joel and what he's done like we, we can, of course, and we did at the beginning of this, talk about how it was 16 teams at first and run against become so mainstream. And yeah, we can't watch 100 the, teams. Yeah, and we can't watch the fails at the same time as the successes, which kind of sucks. But at the same time, yeah. <laughs> he, he has created a real institution that rivals the main institutions. It in is insane. I, it is insanity. And I like I cannot believe that I got... Like, I, re- I went back and I looked at the, the Facebook message that he sent me... Um, when I signed up for Run and Gun, because I was like, I introduced myself to him because I knew him a little bit, but I was like, hey, Joel, like we've seen each other around. Just letting you know, I just signed up for your Run and Gun thing. And he's like, yeah, um, I hope, like we've got seven teams signed up right now. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully a couple more get, get, get signed up. And I'm like, what, what a turn of events. Like in, in a matter of like six, seven years, he was worried about having 10 teams sign up. And now, yeah. He, he had to cap it at 120. Yeah. <laughs> and even then there was people, he could have, he could have had 500 probably. 1200 seater venue. Um, just like, you know, fighting with the Leos yeah. for, for the date. Like that's the biggest film institution we have in Vancouver. And it's just like, it's like things are changing. Like people are seeing the value in creating for themselves and for, for for not accepting institutional limitations, you know, one hundred percent, man. I, I think and like you know the thing about run and gun that's really beautiful is, in my mind, okay, I have a bit of a problem with some of the teams that well, I have a lot of problems with a lot of the mentality of, of a lot of the teams. Like there's oh, teams course. that have 30, 40, 50 people. We have four fucking people on our crew. Yeah, and it's like I'm not saying that we're so much better, but it's like the mindset. That's the Leo mindset. Yeah, like, the, yeah. Bringing in a fifty person crew, you got like three different Aries going, you have like a fucking... Yeah, you have like one of those de- chest of drawers sound things. Yeah, 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 you got, yeah exactly. Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, that's not the spirit of the event. And what I really love about, about Run and Gun is like, it it exists purely in that moment of like, yeah, hey, here's something crazy that we made in 48 hours. Isn't this fun? Oh. And it's a celebration of that moment and the celebration of each other. We're not going to submit these for Academy Award uh, contenders. The thing, the thing I hate um, most is people taking their running guns on a festival circuit. Afterwards? Yeah. I know. I know. Especially when they put it in the fucking credits that it was made in 48 like, hours. Just, just <laughs> fucking like either let it be of the night or throw it on YouTube. Fuck it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I totally agree. And I think the small teams keep the integrity and the spirit of that alive. Like I think anything more than 15, 20 people and you're doing, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. And it's like, like you need to trust, find a small group of, of people that you're, that you are like-minded with and trust their skills and give, give them 
the opportunity that they want and that's how you'll keep them engaged you'll keep them uh like not like afterwards they'll love it they'll promote it because yeah. they feel ownership on it because they were given an opportunity to like oh this is my first time dping and the yeah. guy just totally let me do it you know and it's an opportunity that's the spirit yeah. of the event man yeah it's an opportunity to fail, but I just think, yeah, I mean, with finalists, and, and I get it, it's you can't screen eight hours of films over the course of a day, like, yeah. and have everybody not be falling asleep. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. Uh, yeah, no, of course <laughs> not. But and that's the thing is like nine hours of content were created over that weekend, right? Which is insane. That's crazy. But yeah, you can't have that. So you got to tier it in such a way that it keeps it exciting and fun, and also like you got to have some sort of carrot and stick thing that like people are trying their best because they think they might win. It's this weird thing, but at the same time, it's not about having the best toys or having the best people working on it, you know, save that for your magnum opus that you make. This is for trying the thing that you feel like you can't try anywhere else. Yes. Yeah. Flexing your muscles, working out a little bit, trying new crazy stuff, going hard in the paint. We've said that a lot today. But yeah, hard really, in the paint. Going dude. hard in the paint. And and also, like, just have fun. Enjoy yeah. the fucking process. Yeah, that's the most important thing, yeah. 100%. And, like, I see these teams that are just stressing out or, like, you know. And, like, there's, like, I've had a couple friends send me theirs. And it's, like, you know, they're fine. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a shitty film but like i can tell you all had a lot of fun <laughs> and that's like, what's important yeah it's, that is what's important and i think to go back a little to the institution of like and then like final form stuff like yeah. to see joel um be at this point now where he's like wielding this fucking dragon of, of a, <laughs> an event and it's like and then in, in this the, the the contrast of going back and seeing our first conversations about it um in 2015 yeah, it's like it makes me so happy to see. I don't know. I don't know if Joel is happy with where it's at, and I don't know if he's happy in his life. I'm not. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, yeah. But like, it it is very nice to see someone um, have such strong opinions about the industry and about other film circuits and about film, and to basically just fucking do something about it. And, yeah, and to and not just be like everybody else in this industry that just echo chambers their voice and and like. It would just talk to each other about it. Like he's he's stepping on toes of people that need to have their fucking toes stepped on, and it's, yeah. it is inspiring. <laughs> no, see. I agree. I agree, and it needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah, I think we're in the middle of a renaissance that's been much needed in Vancouver, where we might actually at least have a respected indie film component instead of just being the crew. Instead of just being the crew. Yeah. And, totally. and I think I hope that, so. Yeah. And I think that that's amazing. And also, I agree with you about the process. My favorite films of mine are not even close to the most successful outwardly. I can't even watch the most successful one I made anymore. Really? Okay. I can't. Um, my favorite. Which one would you say is the most successful one? Uh, on a mate. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, 1.5 million views on YouTube. <laughs> really? Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. I didn't know that. 1.5 million views on YouTube. Uh, Outfest, like the best festival they've gotten into. It screened at the Chinese Theater in LA. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I honestly don't even think I've seen it. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I, I am not one of, that, one of those films. I mean, it's like a... Like, I know what it is. I've never seen it. I don't know. Like, I, and it's been a long enough time to say that I feel like it's a beautiful movie for what it is. 
I think that the intent of it, in my opinion, sort of failed. I wanted to tell a different story than the one that's it, it what got received as. Yeah. You know, and so... But we learn, you grow, right? Yeah, you grow. I mean, it's like when we made Average Dicks and when we made <laughs> I Love You So Much, It's Killing Them. Yeah, which is great. I like that. The, there was no dissonance between the process and the joy of... Well, I wasn't part of the process of making I Love You So Much, It's Killing Them because I was in New York. Right. I was only in the process of writing it, but the Average Dicks for sure. There was no dissonance between the way it was received by the people who liked it and, and the joy that was felt on set. Yeah, that's an equal... Yeah. That is a that is a great um, feeling when it's like you know it's special and then people recognize it. Yeah, and if ten people get hit by it the way that I felt making it, that's worth a million people, you know, thinking something is cool because it was advertised to them on YouTube. What do you think the best project you've been a part of is? My favorite is this running gun. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say knowing your body of work, although clearly I don't know. I haven't seen all of them, apparently. Well, I would say that it was the most, like, uh, accessible. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so weird because of the, what, they, what it's about. But, like, uh, although, I mean, Average Dicks is very funny. Yeah. And, and Average Dicks is, is, like, I have a soft spot for it because we were, like, neck-and-neck yeah. competitors in Van Chan for, like, a year, well, which was a lot of fun. It was <laughs> but, so nice when you guys came through because it felt like we weren't alone. Right. Yeah, it's it's lonely up there at the top. No, not no, not at the top. Just like people making like irreverent, shitty things with their buddies that like they're doing just not shitty quality no, ones, no. but just like, like derpy, derpy, like, yeah. fucking. Only me and my buddy are gonna get this, you know. And so when you when you see somebody else who's doing it, you really feel like okay, like I'm not insane. Yeah, totally. I kind of felt a similar kinship when Gritsmore came along too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love Dave and. I was with them last night, man. He crashed a date I was on. Was <laughs> you awesome. were on a date? Yeah, I was on a date and uh, he, uh, <laughs> he was like, yo, what's up? I'm waiting. I'm getting into this venue, but it's like an hour away. And oh, he just came out and we were having beers and chicken wings and he stopped by. <laughs> it was I love, fun. I love Dave. I love, Dave is one of my favorite people. I love Dave, that, man. Dave really exemplifies like the kind of person who just loves the act of creation for its own sake. Yeah. I think like... Like me and me and DG are quite similar, but uh, he is much more of the like goes all of his priority into being an artist first. Yeah. And whereas I am totally fine and happy to lean into crowd pleasing schlock. It makes me happy to do it. I enjoy being the center of attention and making people laugh, even if it's not art. Yeah. Um, and we've never worked together. We, I, he, he, he show, I was in a Gritsmore thing. I acted in, in a couple of Gritsmore things through his year of content last year. Um, he's an interesting director, but like, he's one of those guys, similar to, to Joel, like, well, I guess I can hang out with, I, I, I can hang out with Dave a lot, but I don't know if I would be, if we'd be good partners to like work together. Yeah. There's some people where you're like, I love the guy. I love his work, but I don't know if I really want to work with him, like write with him. Well, it's interesting to say this is the next part of my metamorphosis as a creator, too, is I realized that I've been in denial about the fact that I'm a director. Right. So Sorry, I should just say, I, I don't want to say that I don't want to work with Dave. No, Brain. it's It's it, just like... It dovetails into it. No, I've worked yeah. with him and I've loved it. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I love every collaboration. It, I th- it's I not going to be like the main partnership of your career. You're going right. to do project or so together and it's going to be great but it's i think maybe because the the space that dave and i occupy in a 
creation is the same. Yeah. He's the he's the he's the, the the editor and the director, right? And that's yeah. that's the space that I occupy. Is like I edit everything. I'm the one kind of thinking of like how it's gonna fucking cut. And he occupies that same yeah. space. So I don't know if we would we would clash a bit if we were to like properly work together on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't want to preface that. Doesn't don't want to sound like I don't like the guy. No, <laughs> but, no, yeah. no, no, not at all. Yeah, I I totally get you. No, there are certain people who yeah who have it, and I I realize now that I have it too, where I like I need to stop hiding behind like somebody else when I'm whenever we work on something i'm desperately trying to control the tone like a director does right but then i go i'm not a director and it's just like <laughs> yeah i don't know what i'm doing uh but that's Have you like directed anything <laughs> i've directed like a play and i co-directed a one one of my running ones mm. yeah but i i have ghost directed many things so i i i'm the same i don't direct much but i direct from the back See, like yes. Jack is our Jack is our director, but yeah, like, right. And and Steve is ours, yeah. But it's like I'm kind of like in his ear, like these aren't gonna cut. But it's not. It's not like he's no. he's the the reason why Jack is so great. Yeah, is he's a voiceover director. That's how Cole knows him. I went to film school with him, but he's worked as a voiceover director for ten right, years. Right, right. So he's very good at like. Like, hey, your guys are getting real loud here, or like the your guys are getting too intense. Like, let's bring that in, or the scene needs to be. He's way more about like yeah. navigating the character flow and like making sure that like, like, oh, the scene right before this, you ended really high, so we can't start high. You know, truthfully, like, yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I think that set is just more complicated and amorphous than specific roles. Is is really true. what Great what point. it is? Yeah, because yeah, actually, when you say that, I think about like how. Steve is so much more comfortable, especially on the day, um, operating the technical side of things and the art side of things. Whereas I get like hyper focused on what the character's doing and, and then on my own performance, and then I can't like I can't focus on everything else. Right. So I could I couldn't do what he does. And on top of that, he approaches everybody on set with like this like encouraging gentleness that I. Like Some, a cool stoicism. Like a cool stoicism that I don't have. Sure. You know, and yeah. so like I think he, he is the perfect person to be the head of the ship when all of these other parts are in motion. That's the thing I totally I totally sympathize with that. And there's times where like especially when you're acting in it, where yeah. it's like, I get like I helped write this, I get where this should be going, I know how it's gonna cut, but at the yeah. end of the day, I, you're the one I'm gonna defer to you. It's yeah, like, and that's how I feel too. Yeah, it's like I don't know, man. Look, I, I gotta focus on this scene. Like if you think it's good then then yeah. yeah, I remember showing up to Schwartz's place, Steve's place, uh, after we did the edit for uh, this movie, and he cut in the, the montage sequence. Like, that wasn't part of the script. Mm. He, he just cut that together, and he's like, I don't know, this might be hokey, but you want to see if it works? And he put in the song from Magnolia. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> oh yeah. my god, this, uh-huh. this, this makes sense of this entire movie. <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't. I, I the way he pitched it to me on set, I didn't get it all, and I thought it wasn't going to work. And then he just showed it to me, and I had two. Dude, oh my god! I had two things like that happen where Anna pitched a line, and I thought like that's not going to work. That's a fucking cringe line, and I wanted to delete it. And she's like, "No, don't delete it. I'm going to make it work. It's coming out of my mouth." And I was like, "All right, I trust you." And then it's the best line of the movie. Wow, dude, it's so funny. Like while we were shooting ours the whole time, I'm like. This needs a uh, voiceover. This isn't going to work without a narration. So we were going to start with being like, like, I mean, 
it starts with the begin with the beginning and the end. Like the, it has like a bit of an epilogue at the beginning. So it was going to be that version of me talking yeah. about the history of the relationship or whatever throughout it. And the whole time I'm like, guys, we need it. It's not gonna, how's it going to work? We need it. We need it. Even though I was the one editing and Jack was like, dude, we don't need it. It'll, it'll all just yeah. tell the story itself. I'm like, I don't know if it's going to cut well between the two. And he's like, man, just think of yeah. it like an anthology and don't worry about it. And like his calmness was like, like okay, all right. In my back of my mind, I'm like, I'm going to have to go in and, and view yeah. this whole fucking thing. And then it cuts. It was like, God damn it, man. Yeah. Because yeah. he had that high level perspective that I was too close to it to see. You need people to check you, man. Like you need people to to tell you to to tell you what's gonna work when your head is too far up your own ass. Yeah. You know? Like that's what George Lucas didn't have in the prequels. You know? <laughs> oh, oh my god. Yeah. Well I can't talk about with this film. No, you, I can't have any opinions about it. You can't have any opinions. Okay. <laughs> no, no, but you're right. It's it's like unfettered uh like authoritarianism yeah (laughs) but when you're in the middle of it right and you wrote it or whatever or like wrote this i wrote the bare bones and then we all filled it in together me charlie and uh anna pacheco yeah um the you feel like because you kind of structured it in your head that you have this ownership over it and then if anybody touches it they're gonna fuck it up and then the opposite is true they add every texture and everything that makes it worth watching dude just like i was saying about like finding people you like working with and then empowering them and putting work onto them like again and about gambling on yourself it's like i have never regretted trusting someone no me either on set like there's been a couple times where you work with people you're just like i can't stand this guy and it's like just bad vibes i've had a couple people like that but if you like the person and you trust their style and their taste and their technique just fucking go hard man like it's team curation it's it's like yeah the writing starts when you pick your team or creation in general like you have to pick the right people because well here's the thing okay so we had cole bail on our team this year yeah so i shouldn't say bail he had an obligation he had to go back to edmonton so all of a sudden i was left without my one and only acting and writing partner i ever had and i was like oh my god how do i do this how do i do this fucking random friend of a friend like and everybody is is on other teams all the people i know are on other teams i'm like oh my god so me and jack and, and james are just completely alone we needed another actor Friend of a friend, randomly messaged her. I met her like two times. Yeah. And uh, we were very worried. We're like, why don't we bring her in for the writing just to get a sense of who she is? She ended up like totally being clutch in the writing. Like, I know this sounds like the biggest like privileged white cis man thing to fucking ever say. Having a female presence in the writer's room. I have never had that before. No, yeah. (laughs) And it was fabulous. Yeah, (laughs) She was amazing. And like... I, it's just like god like i've been writing with cole for like seven years you know like yeah i love the guy but a little bit of different perspective was very very helpful and it's like that was i was worried curating the team i was like i don't have control over this team who's this girl yeah and, and it worked like, out it all worked out i don't know expanding your this podcast has gone on so long how long are we at right now I, it doesn't say it says it in bars i don't know if you can even i think you can time Two hours. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. We'll, we'll, well, one hour, 40... Oh, no, two hours. Yeah, two yeah, hours, yeah. Two, hours, two hours. That's pretty good, actually, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of like splitting the difference between the standard style and the Joe Rogan style. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I had this thing for a time where I thought that, like, I was moving past my earlier collaborators as I opened up to more people. And, you know, I was very protective of the 
original secret sauce or whatever. Yeah. But it's like you can always go back to those partnerships in the future to make new things. And it's totally. Expanding and, and bringing more people into the family and, and learning about yourself through them is like the right way to do it. Man, and this this city is so full of amazing people and great people. And like, mm-hmm. you really just got like, if you have a good feeling about somebody, you got a good gut feeling. Just gotta sure. go with just it. Just try it. And running is the perfect uh, canvas for that. No, <laughs> I'm gonna say something very shitty. Go ahead. <laughs> I was at uh, something yesterday morning with Joel, uh, and there was. Yeah, maybe 40, 50 people present. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were people, some of them had made had made films that were being a part of Run and Gun. Some of them were just friends. And man, there are people in this community that like you, you meet for two seconds and you're like, I would never <laughs> want to work with you. <laughs> I, know, I absolutely know. I absolutely know. And they're like, yeah, I made a film. I'm like, great that's good for you like i don't want to have anything to do with that (laughs) you just tell you go with your gut right away you're like no man (laughs) oh fuck okay in the spirit of van shitty yeah sure let's uh (laughs) let's leave that for the audience so that we can talk shit off mic i love it all right god bless (laughs) this is the perfect segue yeah all right well thank you so much hunter i mean i had a fabulous time this is one of my favorite conversations i've ever had oh that's great that's great i I love, I mean, this is why it's gone on so long, because I just love talking to you. You just can't stop. Just can't stop. Once you pop the phone, don't stop. Yeah, and you popped me, baby. <laughs> yeah, and plus, I got to take a huge piss. So. That's, yeah, that's really the main thing. Well, hey, thanks for having me, and uh, I, I love you, and I can't wait to hear it. And I love you, I'll too. See you man. myself, yeah. This is going to be the main uh, run and gun episode. Fuck yeah. <laughs>